Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ficini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's the start of a special three-episode week of the Game Theory Podcast to coincide with the start of college basketball today on the show. Rob Doster is here. We're going to break down a little bit of a preview of college basketball to start the season. On Wednesday, I think that Penny and I are going to do a recap of the Champions Classic and kind of dive into what we saw on college basketball's opening night. And then later in the week, we're going to have another NBA podcast. But the first part of that is the most important part, because on the other line, I have good friend of the program, Rob Doster. What is your official title? CEO, COO of the Field of 68? Like, what are we calling you, Rob? Just call me Jeff Goodman's boss. That's the only thing that I want. That's the only thing that matters, really. <laughs> That's the only thing that I want. I'm Jeff Goodman's boss. Oh, my God. Look at you. Look at you just wielding power over Goodman. I love it. Please. I need to. Look, man, I just have to keep him in line sometimes. You know, he gets a little too big for his britches. Sometimes you just got to <laughs> make sure that he, uh, you know, he's in his place. But um, I got to say, Sam, there's going to be nothing on this show today that's more entertaining than if you had recorded the last uh, about 10 minutes of, of me, professional podcaster, trying to get set up to record a podcast. It was amazing. It was uh it was amazing. People well, talking in the background, Roombas making noise all over the place. It's a, it's a mess. It's a mess well, over here. I don't know. You've been doing. stuck like uh, taking care of your kids with your wife out of town for the weekend. So that I'm sure was just like an absolute mess. So you're you're a little flustered right now. And by the way, on my end, my wife and I on Friday we went out to get an egg chair for our backyard, uh, so that like I can sit and read in a chair and. They're supposed to come at some point this afternoon. We don't know when they're coming. So given the way that this podcast has started, I'm assuming that they're going to come within the next like 10 minutes or so to deliver this chair. And we have it all set up. So they just have to walk right in the backyard and like just drop the chair. But, you know, there's going to be something that goes wrong. It's going to be it's going to be that kind of podcast, I think. (laughs) <laughs> hey look that's the beauty of podcasts right oh, <laughs> it's a window into our, the the mess that is our lives sam that's a good point that's a very good point uh okay so this is a 21 questions episode i thought that that was the easiest way to dive deep into college basketball to start this season so i've got a few questions at the top we're going to do two questions on each of the six big conferences uh, and then i have a couple of you know mid-major low major questions and then a few questions to finish it off so rob are you ready let's dive in here whatever you say go we're all good let's do it man i've never been more excited for anything in my entire life oh that's a sad life then <laughs> question number one college basketball is older than it's been in the last few years due to the decision to grant an extra year of eligibility in light of the pandemic last year. Does that mean that you think the quality of basketball we see across college basketball will be better in the 2021-22 season? Uh, Better than last season? Absolutely. Um, If for no other reason than the fact that there is going to be a level of connectivity on these rosters that just was impossible to experience last season. Uh, I, I don't know if like the general public understands just how difficult last year was on a lot of these teams and a lot of these programs and a lot of these kids. Like normally, 
for a college basketball team, your day is, you know, you wake up, you go with your buddies and your teammates to class, then you go and you get a workout in, then you go to another class and you all go together to get lunch. Uh, then you all go together to practice, and after practice, you all go to a team dinner. After a team dinner, you go back to your dorms or wherever you hang out. You play video games. Maybe you drink some beers, uh, whatever you do as college kids, and then you go to sleep, and you do the whole thing over the next day. You could not do that last season. You went to practice. You went home, and you ate by yourself in a dorm. Right? If you had to isolate because you had a close contact with someone that tested positive, then you were sitting in a dorm room for 14 days with get food delivered to your front door. So I, I don't think the, the whole point of college, you're never going to see a product on the floor that is better than what you see at like the NBA level. But you get it's the experience. It's the playing for each other. It's the team aspect. It's all those like cliche things that people say about college. It's really annoying, but like kind of is true too when it comes to what the the sport actually is. And nobody got that last season. So the play on the court is going to be unequivocally better because I just feel like there's going to be more connectivity. People are going to know each other better. They're going to have had a summer to work together to learn what each other do on the floor. They're going to have had captain's practices in June and July and August and September that matter so much. Um, and yes, it helps that a lot of these kids ended up coming back. And, and honestly, Sam, I think the NIL stuff had just as big of an impact as well. Like I don't know yep. if Hunter Dickinson is back and Kofi Coburn is back if they don't have a chance to kind of capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. So I think that played a major role in this whole thing as well. And plus, Amani Bates and Jalen Duran, are they in Memphis right now? If they don't get some kind of NIL deal from somebody, I don't think they are. I would think no, to be honest. I generally agree with you that I think the quality and the product is going to be much better in college basketball this season. Do I think it's going to be like perfect by any stretch? I don't, but it's college basketball. It's never going to be perfect. I mean, you and I have talked to a ton of coaches. You maybe even more so, certainly more so probably given the amount of content that you've had to put out over the last few weeks. Uh, to coaches uh, across the country as much as I have. And they're really excited about like the level of continuity that's there right now. Like they feel like there is going to be some high quality basketball played early in the season. And last year it was just kind of a mess to start the year. It felt like. Yeah. And the other part of it is the, the thing that makes college basketball great is the, the environment and the experience of like being at a game, of watching a game, of hearing student sections uh, chanting, you know, F you at players like that, that whole vibe of the sport is going to be there as well. So, like, even if the basketball sucks, at least you get to hear these fans going nuts when, when you know, some crazy shot goes in or somebody misses and whatever it is. So you get that. That environment is back. And I think the environment of college basketball matters just as much as like the actual quality of play on the floor. Maybe not for people that are sitting there like grinding film, right? It's probably annoying when you're, when you have to go back and rewatch the stuff, but when you're watching <laughs> live in the moment, you know what I'm saying? Like when yeah. you're watching in the moment, that, that environment has a major impact on the viewing experience. And I think that's going to help. Okay. Question number two What is your favorite bet right now on the market? to win the national title in the preseason with our sportsbook partners at BetMGM. I'll read the odds to you there, uh, even from your home state of New Jersey, Rob. So Gonzaga six to one, Michigan, 12 to one, UCLA, 12 to one, Villanova, 12 to one, Duke, 14 to one, Kansas, 14 to one, Purdue, 14 to one, Texas, 14 to one, Kentucky, 16 to one, Memphis, 18 to one, Baylor, Ohio State, Alabama, Illinois, 20 to one. And then we get into the longer shots. Is there a team out there that really stands out to you? 
Uh, Texas at fourteen to one seems yeah. like a pretty good value based on what other outlets have it at. I, I, you know, I think that that's pretty good value based off of how good that team I think is going to end up being. Um, Kentucky at sixteen to one. You said right? Yes. That yeah, that's that's really interesting to me as well. Uh, I think you said Duke was twelve to one. Right? Fourteen. 14. Yeah, so Duke at 14 to 1 is that's about the number that I would like it at. So Duke, Kentucky, and Texas are the three most interesting. Can I throw one more at you? I need Please. A, I need a price that you guys have on them. What what do you have North Carolina at? Uh 30 to 1. Yeah, third I like North Carolina at 30 to 1 as a long shot. My, my, one of my hottest takes this season was that Caleb Love is going to be that dude this year as a sophomore coming back when the jumper comes around and the simple fact that there is going to be actual space for him to operate in and around the paint because they got Brady Maddock, because they got Dawson Garcia, because I believe in, uh, in, in Kerwin Walton, because I think RJ Davis is going to be able to step up and have a good season as a sophomore. I think Caleb Love is going to have a big year. And if you're taking a long shot bet 30 to one, I think it's worth it to, uh, you know, throw a couple nickels on, um, on, uh, on North Carolina to win it all. Yeah, I don't hate that. I mean, I, I've written about getting Texas, UCLA, and Purdue in the 17 to 19 to 1 range. All of those have come down to earth a little bit since uh, like, I got them, what, I think in August or so. Uh, in terms of like, if we're looking at long shots, it, it's kind of hard for me to really come up with one this year. I, I guess that North Carolina is okay. Uh Illinois at 20 to 1 is interesting, but I have some real questions about Illinois. Having said that, they are a top 10 Ken Palm team that you can get at 20 to 1, and that feels abnormal uh, to me at least. But uh, in that respect, the next question here is who can I, is. Can I say one thing real yeah, quick yeah, go about for it. Purdue? Please. I, I, I understand the logic with Purdue. Um, I am very concerned about two things. One, the whole Trevion Williams versus Zach Eady dynamic, because everything yeah. that I've heard coming out of West Lafayette is like Zach Eady has been kicking everyone's ass, and Trevion Williams might be in a situation where it's like he's playing 20, 21 minutes a game. And I, I think Matt Painter is going to have to be balancing egos as much as anything else. And the other part of it is when Paint had his best teams at Purdue with Isaac Haas in the middle, they were one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. They shot... 40.3% from yep. three the year when Biggie Swanigan was there. And they shot 42% from three, number two in the country the year that it was Isaac Haas with the four guys around him. It was Carson Edwards when he was a sophomore. They had Dakota Mathias with Edwards. That team shot 42% from three on a lot of attempts. So where's the shooting this season? Who's going to be the guy that makes sure that Zach Eady has all that space to operate? That's my biggest concern with this Purdue team. Okay, let me let me pitch you on that real quick. So Jaden Ivey in all three years of his like final three high school years shot over forty percent from three. I think that the twenty six percent that he shot last year was like not an accurate portrayal of what his shooting is. Uh Eric Hunter like shot twenty seven percent from three last year, but was pretty comfortable getting them up and shot thirty six percent the year before. Brandon Newman as a freshman shot 38% from three. Sasha Stefanovic shot 40% from three. Mason Gillis is a six foot six freshman shot 35% from three. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I think that they might be okay shooting the basketball. Like you're hundred percent right about the Trevion Williams and Zach Eady dynamic, which I have some concerns about if only because I think that Trevion Williams is probably the most impactful player in the big 10. 
that's kind of a hot take, I guess. But like, you listen to coaches who play Purdue and play in the Big Ten night after night, and they just don't have anything but positive things to say about the way Trevion Williams impacts multiple parts of the game. They think he's a good rim protector because of his size. They think he's an unbelievable passer, obviously a really good finisher inside. He's capable of taking on such a ridiculous offensive load. I don't know, man. Like, I, I kind of think that it, it's going to be hard to play both and Zach Eady together. If there's a big man tandem that I think can make it work, I wonder if it's them, even if it's not the ideal way that Purdue wants to play. Yeah, no, I, I get it. It all makes sense on paper to me. It's just well, I, I look at that and it's kind of like, all right, I, I need to I need to see Jaden Ivey go out there and be better than a 26% three-point shooter, right? I need to go I need to see Eric Hunter be a guy that gets out there and is making the shots. And if they do it, like I trust me, I get it. I have them in my top 10. I know how good they are. It's just one of those things where it's like if they're if those shots aren't going down, all of a sudden that court gets really really small really really quickly. Okay, number 3. Who is your national player of the year pick? I'll give a few more odds from our good friends at BetMGM. Uh Drew Timmy 6 to 1, Paulo Boncaro 7 to 1, Hunter Dickinson 8 to 1, Remy Martin 8 to 1, Chet Holmgren 9 to 1, uh Kofi Coburn 10 to 1. Uh, Oshay Agbaji, Marcus Carr, Colin Gillespie, Johnny Juzang, 16 to 1. Uh, JD Davison is 20 to 1. Good Lord. Uh, Jerry, Jaden Gardner is 20 to 1. Oh man, we're, we're starting to get, uh, we're starting to get some aggressively bad numbers, uh, here. Sorry, BetMGM. Love you can guys. We, <laughs> can we talk about Remy Martin as the, like the third favorite to be the national player of the year? What are we doing here? What's I going don't, on? Would you have Remy Martin as a top 50 player in the country? Uh, um, I, I honestly, like, buying. I would not. Uh, I, I'm not a fan. Well, my answer is, is Remy Martin playing as Remy Martin? Or is Remy Martin playing the way that a Bill Self point guard is going to be asked to play? And I think that those, I don't think that those two things, like the Venn diagram of those two things are two separate circles about, you know, eight feet apart. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I would not. Uh, Remy Martin playing as Remy Martin is not a top 50 player in the country for me. He's going to put up numbers, but, uh, I, you know, those are empty calories. He's lucky charms. I need a guy that's going to be like a, a nice bowl of, uh, you know, raisin brand or something. It is I don't know what that 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 right there that reference is what happens when you have your kids by yourself all for the entire weekend. So yeah, I was going to say that's a that's a wild <laughs> wild reference. I, I mean, look, like I, I don't know where I was going with that. The, the easy pick here, I think, is Drew Timmy. Like, he's just going to put up numbers, and they're going to be good, and they're going to win 29 out of 31 games or whatever in the regular season. Like, I, this is one year where I think the favorite, like, should actually be the favorite. Like, I, I don't I don't know what would stop Drew Timmy from being the favorite, I guess. You know what would stop Drew Timmy from being the favorite is Chet Holmgren being awesome. That's I mean, that's my one concern is that, like, there's there's a real chance that they could end up kind of splitting votes, and you know maybe it's a situation where it's uh, like Zion and RJ um, a couple years ago where like they were both awesome and they both put up ridiculous numbers and it was so clearly obviously apparent that Zion Williamson was a national player of the year, but uh, you know it's also Gonzaga and since they play in the WCC, no one's going to ever give them the respect that they actually rightfully deserve. So um, who knows? I, I still love Paolo at seven to one. 
Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think I think he could end up legitimately having a season where he averages like nineteen nine, three assists, couple blocks, a steal, shoots like thirty four percent from three. You put him in pick and rolls, and you know he's going to have some highlights that just pop like crazy. So uh, I, I would not be surprised to see Powell. I I think the top. If you get Remy Martin out of there, I think the top three are the right three for National Player of the Year. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I love Paolo. I'm, I'm kind of all in on Paolo. I, I will give a dark horse that I can just see the narrative getting behind in my brain already. Buddy Beheim. He's at 30 to 1. <laughs> Buddy Beheim. You can just. That is, that is, <laughs> That is Dude. not where I thought you were going to go with that. That is, I, I was like, oh, who could this be? Is it going to be Jaime Hawkins? No, no, he wouldn't say Jaime Hawkins. Oh, could it be Colin Gillespie? No, it's not going to be Colin Gillespie. Oh, could it be someone from Houston? See, no, but, like, but here, here's the thing, Rob. Buddy Bayheim. <laughs> you have to think about the way these dumbass college awards voters think, right? Uh, and a lot of them are going to be real excited when Buddy Bayheim averages 24 points a game. And, you know, is like the white dude son of Jim Beheim. Like, I'm telling you that this is a narrative that people are going to get behind. Like, it, it, if he plays well, it's going to be a thing. If you want to if you want to give him first team All-American, if he averages 26 points and Syracuse makes the tournament, like, okay, yeah, that's fine. But the, whatever. Like, that's I can totally understand if Syracuse is good enough to make the tournament. But, like, that's kind of an if at this point, right? I, I, look, I'm not saying that he should be in the conversation for National Player of the Year. I'm just saying that if you're looking for a dark horse and you don't trust college basketball, the college basketball voting block in the way that I don't trust the college <laughs> basketball voting block, that this is this is what happens, right? <laughs> that's 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 fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Question number four. We talked about Drew Timmy and we talked about the Chet Holmgren mix a little bit. It's just simply, do we buy the Gonzaga hype? They are ranked number one in the preseason. According to the polls, they are ranked number one in Ken Palm in the preseason. They have an awful lot of talent returning to Spokane. They have Chet Holmgren and arguably their best uh, freshman class coming into Spokane. Do we buy that this is the number one team and should be considered the favorite to win the title going into the season? Yes, I do. Um, I think the fact that they're six to one and like the next team is 12 to one is probably that gap is probably a little bit bigger than it should be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm all in, you know, Razier Bolton is, is, is a really good addition as a guy that can just go out and create a bucket for him. Right. I think Andrew Nemhard is going to really come into his own in the situation that he is in with this group. I think, uh, Nolan Hickman is a guy that's going to come in and I've heard his look pretty impressive, um, so far in practices and 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 the the dynamic of uh being able to have the human eraser at the rim you know chet holmgren he could end up averaging like nine blocks a game at the college level in the wcc so um yes i very much think that Gonzaga deserves to be the favorite uh whether or not it actually plays out that way is something that's going to be really interesting to watch but i don't think that there is a team other than them that is clearly head and shoulders above everybody else. Like you can nitpick flaws at everybody, man. I, I love, love this UCLA team, but the concept that this is a group that was in a playing game last season before getting hot after they had to beat Michigan state in overtime, just to get into the actual tournament. And they're just running it back like that. That's, 
that's something that is a very real concern for me. You know, the, the Big Ten is loaded at the top. Can Hunter Dickinson guard anybody on the perimeter? What happens if you just put these guys into ball screens? There is a very real reason why Loyola was able to pick apart Illinois in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year. Kansas' starting point guard is Remy Martin, right? Texas' starting point guard has a 14-44 and career record in conference play as a senior. Duke has a bunch of guys that, like, can't really shoot. And, like, do we really trust their point guard play? And are, are we really buying into a team that is basically built like a Big Ten team with Paolo and, and Mark Williams as maybe the two best players? Like, everybody has flaws. And Gonzaga has flaws, too. But they're just, like, not anywhere near as apparent. And they might have the two best players in college basketball. So, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm in on Gonzaga being the favorite. That doesn't mean that they're a guaranteed team to win. It doesn't mean they're going undefeated and whatever. But they're, they're awesome. You know, give them their due. Yeah, the, the big thing for me is that their two bigs actually fit together on the court because Chet Holmgren can shoot and he can really protect the rim. What are the two things that Drew Timmy can't really do? He can't really protect the rim and can't really defend in space or shoot, obviously, himself on offense. But defensively, he particularly struggles. And Chet Holmgren is going to be there to be the eraser, the help side protector that is really going to help Gonzaga. Now, if I'm playing against Gonzaga, I'm trying to pull Chet Holmgren away from the basket all the time. The thing is that if you do that, then you're not pulling Drew Timmy away from the basket where he considerably struggles uh, on a possession-by-possession basis. So that kind of plays right into Gonzaga's hands. I just kind of look at the way that their front court is constructed. I love it. Uh, I think that they're going to get enough wing play. Like, Julian Strother played well in the limited minutes he played last year, I thought. Uh, you know, they're obviously going to have, you know, guys like Anton Watson who can play like the 3 4 in college, uh, and they feel pretty comfortable playing him given how much he played last year. Uh, and then on top of it, they have fourth year guards. Like they have Andrew Nemhard and Rasir Bolton who are going to be consistent enough to actually get the job done. Plus, they have actual X factors in Hunter Salas and uh, Nolan Hickman. And like you said, like I, I've heard better things about Hickman in the preseason than I have Salas, despite the fact that Salas was the five-star. But having two of those guys in the backcourt is kind of a real X factor in a way that Gonzaga uh, hasn't often had in the past, uh, really up until last year with Jalen Suggs. So I'm with you. Especially, especially when they're going to be playing alongside two guys that are seniors that are going to be able to carry like the, the heavy bulk of the load while those guys kind of get their feet wet. Can I take a quick sidebar? Because I want to talk through something on Chet. Because uh, I've I've gone back and forth on like who I think is the best prospect in this class, Chet versus yeah. Paolo. And what I keep I, – I tend to lean towards Paolo right now because what I keep coming back to with Chet is like he is 7-1 with this ridiculous wingspan. He's a great rim protector. But, like, he's also a guy that, that what, he weighs 210 pounds? And it's that's, not like... That's high. Like, I don't think he's 210. Yeah, so it's... it's And he's not someone like an Anthony Davis with these broad, wide shoulders that you know could put on weight. He's kind of built like a like Kevin Durant is, but and as good of a shooter as he is, and as, as fun as it is to watch the highlights of him on the perimeter, like, that dude ain't Kevin Durant, right? So, what... What do you think he could be defensively at the NBA level? Is this something where we're going to look up 10 games into the season and be like, holy shit, this dude is doing everything Evan Mobley did defensively last year. Why did we not go all in on this guy in the preseason? Um, who can he guard? Because he could do all that other stuff, but I keep coming back to like, 
if you put him in the NBA, what are you doing with him defensively? Is he just going to be on the yeah. worst defender no matter who it is and you just let him kind of be the free safety blocking everything at the rim? I And, and honestly, like I – I, you made this point um, before, and I think the more I think about it, the more I think that it's, it makes a lot of sense. At the end of the day, in the draft, like you should be buying the lottery tickets with the highest upside because if Paolo ends up being like an all-star, great. There's lots of guys you can get to be an all-star, but Chet, I think, has much more potential to kind of be the freak top five player in the sport if everything comes together for him. I don't know. I, I, I know I'm just rambling and throwing thoughts at you on this. Yeah, but I just, yeah, I, so, I kind of watch, watch your opinion a little bit. So, yeah, look, I, I have Paulo one and Chet at number two right now. I think Chet has a higher upside than Paulo if it all breaks right for Chet. I have him at number two because of the similar concerns in terms of his frame as what you kind of just outlined. Right. I am very concerned about what exactly he does on defense because you bring up Evan Mobley, right? Uh, I don't think he's nearly as fluid athletically as Evan Mobley was. And that's not to say he's not a fluid athlete. It's just that Evan Mobley is like kind of a freak in that regard. Yeah. Right. Evan Mobley, he's different, man. He's different. Yeah. And always has been like that. I've been high on Evan throughout the course of his career and continue to be high on Evan given his start to his NBA career. It's just that I don't see that flexibility, that bend, that like ability to move like a perimeter player when I see Chet. When I see Chet, I see a big, and that's totally fine if he didn't weigh 190 pounds. I see an athletic big. You know what I mean? Like, I see someone who can definitely move, but it's not like outlier movement skill. And where he might be ahead of Evan is in regard to like open floor ball handling and shooting. But I wonder how the half court ball handling is going to translate in comparison to how Evans did for USC to where they could like run everything through him offensively because like you could run dribble handoffs, he could deny dribble handoff and then like bend, get his shoulders beneath like a six foot six wing and like go and finish at the basket uh, above the rim after he like rises back up. It's, it's very, very impressive what Evan Mobley was able to do. And I don't see that level of prospect in this year's NBA draft this forthcoming one but if someone is going to reach that high level i think it's going to be chet because chet can really shoot he can handle in the open floor and grab and go uh and he is tough as hell man like he's 190 pounds probably maybe 195 200 but man that dude is physical as hell he loves to battle inside like he does not play up to his size or like what his size is at all so i'm a big fan um I really like Chet. When I, when I, I was talking that, about him, I referenced him as uh, I said, "It's Chris Stapps Porzingis." If you gave him uh, Patrick Peverly's personality, <laughs> I kind of love that. I, I really love that. Um, we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection. With NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. 
everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, let's go into the conference previews real quick. So the ACC, we've talked a little bit about Duke. This is Coach K's farewell season, which is something we have not mentioned so far. Uh, first, will you miss Coach K? And second, uh, do we think this Duke team has a chance to actually win the title, given where they're ranked in the preseason? Uh, one, yes, I will miss Coach K because he's always phenomenal for content. And we are content creators, Sam, and he always gives us something to talk about. Good, bad, whatever it is, there are, there's always something to talk about when it comes to Coach K. And I do think for college basketball, it is a good thing to have that kind of like outsized, larger-than-life, bigger-than-the-sport personalities because – once Coach K is gone, once Coach once Coach Cal's gone, um, maybe even once Jim Beheim's gone, like Roy Williams is gone. How, no, how many we, of those we, no, guys? No, are we're going we're to not us? we're not tossing Beheim into this because Beheim oh, is I a mean, fucking curmudgeonly dickhead who is like calling out Kadari Richmond. Like, what are what does he do? Like, what are we doing here? Like, the guy's just like out here holding like, grudges against fucking nineteen year olds. Again, he great for content, larger than life, like. <laughs> He's one of these guys that can say whatever he wants, doesn't give a shit, and that is great for people like us that have content to create for the masses, Sam. So, uh, yes, I will miss those guys when they are gone simply for that fact. Uh, but um, can Duke win a title? Yes, I, I, I think that Duke can win the title this year if some things happen. One, they are going to need their perimeter guys to be able to make shots. Um, Joey Baker has to come in and play a 
uh, a pretty good role for them off the bench, I think. They're going to need A.J. Griffin to be kind of like the top of his range of outcomes when it comes to making jumpers. They're going to need Wendell Moore to prove that he is at least enough of a threat that people have to pretend to need to guard him. Um, on the perimeter. They're going to need Jeremy Roach to take a step forward. They're going to need Mark Williams to be as good as he was in like the last uh, three or four weeks of last season. Uh, but if all of that happens, like this is the first time in a long time that you look at this Duke team and say, okay, they have dudes that are going to get out and guard on the perimeter that can get out and, and play you man-to-man. They're typical like throwback Coach K. We're going to overplay everything and we're going to dare you to beat our guys one-on-one. We're going to switch everything. And we're just going to say, we have better defenders than you have offensive players. Try to beat us. And they got Paolo. So, yes, I do think that they can win a title uh, this season. And I think there is a little – I mean, we talked about it already a little bit. But I do think that there is some value on their line. Uh, I think that they are closer to like a top 5 to 6 team than a top like 10 to 12 team or wherever it is that they're ranked right now. So, uh, yeah, I'm higher on this Duke team than, than the field, I think. Yeah, I think I'm not, to be honest. I think they're right where they are makes sense to me. Uh, I like the fact that they went out and got Theo John to be a backup big behind Paulo and Mark Williams. I'm very high on Mark Williams as well. Like I have Mark Williams as a top 20 prospect in the preseason. Everything I've heard from scouts that have been down there says he looks absolutely great for them. And I think that it's going to be a good fit with him and Paulo because of Paulo's ability to create on the perimeter. Where I'm a little bit worried is I just don't know where the perimeter play from the guards comes from because I just don't really have a lot of faith in Wendell Moore at this point. Uh, I didn't really love what I saw from Jeremy Roach last year, although certainly he has a high-level prospect billing. Uh, I mean, Trevor Keels, I just haven't seen enough of Trevor Keels beyond knowing that he's like the second coming of LeVance Fields, uh, is like the big... The big thick guard that's probably going to be around college basketball for a little while. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, is is this like a better perimeter defensive team than they were in? 2020 when they had Trey Jones who was awesome on that end I think he won defensive player of the year in the league that year and they had Cassius Stanley who could way overplay everything and they had Jordan Goldwire who played a lot because he was really good defensively I, I don't know like I, I think this team this team just has a lot of questions that and plus like what do they get from AJ Griffin I, I don't think we have any answers there yet um, it's just a weird it's a weird deal with Duke that I, I don't really know totally what how to handle them yet yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of buying into the idea that Jeremy Roach, I'm, I'm giving all of the freshmen that I kind of had high hopes for coming into last season a complete pass on what their freshman year was for all of the reasons that we mentioned at the top, right? Just because, you know, he did not have a chance to get to know his teammates in the offseason. And Duke was as strict as any team in the country when it came to COVID protocols and um, isolation and making sure that you followed the rules and, and they were living in hotels. And uh, it, it was... It was not fun to be a Duke basketball player last year. And I think that we are going to see him have a little bit more of a chance to kind of show who he is yeah. this year. So I'm, I'm willing to uh, kind of buy in, even, even though I agree with everything you said about him last season, but I'm willing to kind of like give that a little bit of a pass and, and buy into it. Um, I think we'll know pretty early, though. You know, I think we're going to know on Tuesday night uh, whether or not the concerns are valid. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, I get everything you're saying, and I agree with it. I, I just if if we get the up like the 
the top of the range, like I said, top of the range of outcomes for AJ Griffin, Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach, Joey Baker. That's a lot of ifs, but it's all things yeah. that I think are very possible to have happen. And if it doesn't work out, you still got Paolo. Like that, <laughs> that dude's going to yeah. make a lot of problems go away. Yeah, I, I think the way I would put it is, can they win a title? Yes. Uh, I, I don't think they would be a favorite for me coming into the year. Uh, the rest of the ACC, I don't know. It feels like the ACC is kind of down in terms of talent this year to me. Uh, I have no first-round prospects in the ACC outside of Duke right now. Duke's the only team in the top 20 in Ken Palm for the ACC this year, and they're ranked 10 in the preseason. Does this feel like a bit of a down ACC to you as well? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I think that there are a lot of teams that are kind of in that, like, back-end top 25 range. You know, I think you get all the way down to, uh, to Syracuse. I think there's probably seven total teams that have yeah. an argument to be a top 25 team. And that doesn't even include Notre Dame, who's like 30th or something like that in, in uh, Ken Palm in the preseason. So um, there are a lot. And I like, like that Notre Dame team too, uh, by the way. Like, I think they're probably going to be pretty close to the top 25. Like where they are in Ken Palm is where I would rank them, I think. Yeah, they're going to be another one where it's like they're at the end of the year, look up and they're top 10 in offensive efficiency and like 173rd in defensive efficiency. <laughs> like, yeah. When they shoot 15 for 22 from three, they're going to beat a lot of good teams. Um, the only thing I would say is I'm, I'm bullish on North Carolina. And again, it's the, I mean, I've made the yeah. points about Caleb love. I just, I, I think that this year is going to be a better fit. And I mean, I don't want to completely erase all of the opinions that I had about him coming into last season. Uh, I, I just, you know, these kind of shoot first, score first lead guards are always end up being really good fits in the North Carolina offense, um, yeah. and I think that I, I fully expect Hubert to be, you know, the same kind of secondary break shit that that Roy ran for eight million years. Uh, I expect him to do the same thing. And, and look, how many good guards have they had over the years that do the same things that Caleb Love does? So uh, I, I'm willing to buy in on them as like a. When I say that, I mean it as like a team that's kind of back end top twenty five that I think has Final Four potential. Not saying that they should be a top eight team or anything like that. Yeah, the, the weird thing that's coming out of there is that like I, I think that they would have needed like a big Dawson Garcia year for that to work. And like from what I gather, like Brady Manick has been a bit more exciting for that staff so far. Have you kind of like gathered that? Yeah, I mean, I guess Brady Manick hasn't missed in practice since, uh, like, the second day or something like that. So um, Yeah, like... David actually said he's the second coming of Larry Bird. Yeah, like, we'll I, to, to we'll me, what, what, like, I think that Dawson Garcia is, like, a really good fit with Armando Baycott. Then again, though, like, Dawson needs to defend, like, in a pretty real way. He had a great uh, G League elite camp uh, whenever he declared for the draft. Uh, it just couldn't quite drive that excitement among NBA scouts to like be worth going pro. I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like North Carolina is a talented team, but I, I have my worries that Caleb love might just be more of like the top 100 ish prospect that he was before that great summer that he had uh, before his senior season uh, as opposed to like the top 10 prospect that, everyone yeah. kind of ranked him as including myself uh coming into last year yeah i could certainly see that the only other thing i, I want to mention two more things um one uh whenever we get to tournament time like take some flyer on syracuse making a run and they cash out once they get to the second weekend because there's like that's all that they do is they, yeah. they play this 
freaking zone that no one can figure out once you get outside the ACC, and they're able to make these runs because nobody can figure out how to you know beat a two three zone. And they have like seventeen kids on that roster that are going to shoot forty eight percent from three. <laughs> and once they get hot, like it's you're just not going to be able to beat them. Um, and for Virginia Tech, I actually do like Virginia Tech. Yeah, uh, I, I do. Very too. good things about Storm Murphy offensively. Uh, they love Keve Aluma. Um, and I do think that there's enough shooters on this roster. Like, this is the first time that Mike Young uh, at Virginia Tech has had a team where there's going to be five guys on the floor at the same time that can shoot better than, like, 38% from three. Now, the problem is, like, I don't know if they go deeper than five. And their point guard is a kid that uh, wanted to stay at Wofford if Wofford had a graduate school for him to be able to enroll in. <laughs> but none of that none of that stuff was true. So uh, that's that's who he has now. So I, I get it if you're kind of concerned about them. But it, I just I, I've gotten to the point where I'm just going to buy in on Mike Young being able to figure something out. So yeah, Virginia Tech, I like him. Okay, uh, next up here we've got the Big East. Uh, are we sure Villanova is like definitely the favorite in the Big East? Like, by far. And, like, look, they're the number one team, but, like, are we sure that, like, it's they are the very clear number one team and that there's a gap between them and everyone else? Uh, I do believe so. Um, I had had a long conversation about this the other day. Uh, The reason I say that is I I think Colin Gillespie's a born winner. Um, I think that they're going to be able to use Jermaine Samuels and small ball five rolls to kind of create him as like a mini JRE kind of a deal to have that be decently effective. Uh, I am expecting Justin Moore to have a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, I don't want to say a breakout year, but I think we're going to see more of what we thought he would be last season after the freshman year that he had. Caleb Daniels like has to be better. And if Brandon Slater can kind of step into being like a, uh, a big time defender, kind of a guy that he's so, shown, um, in flashes, I get it. Uh, I think that they deserve to be the favorite because they're Villanova and they are, they've earned that right. But what I will say is this. I love the Seton Hall team. I think that they have uh, very real kind of top 20 yep. potential. And I think UConn is going to be better than people realize. I'm not just saying that as a homer. Uh, RJ Cole averaged 23-6 and six at Howard for a reason. He's a fifth-year senior now. I think they have athleticism all over the place in places that they didn't necessarily have in the last couple of years. You don't have to worry about any kind of like continuity issues because you're not going to have the is, is book playing, is book not playing issues. And Adama Sunoco, from like every single person I've talked to around that program, is just yep. like, yeah, this, dude, this dude's the real deal. He's going to be a monster. Watch out for him. So on Villanova, and we'll get to that like next part in question eight here. Uh, on Villanova, I guess that what would worry me a little bit is I, I don't know who the standout talent is if Justin Moore doesn't take the next step in terms of like being able to score and like break down defenders because Colin Gillespie is a great point guard. I think Colin Gillespie has like an outside shot to play in the NBA. I don't know how much I trust him to like really consistently break down defenders. Uh, I've not like heard um, that Brian Antoine is, you know, taking the leap that we're hoping from Brian Antoine, right? Given his talent level and what his uh, recruiting track record was coming into college. Uh, a, a sneaky heard like, okay, things from like about like Trey Patterson coming into the year like maybe he can be kind of a standout for them but the other freshman too um what's uh i've heard the same things about trey and then i'm blanking on um jordan uh yeah jordan uh, longino yeah longino yeah i've heard i've heard he's looks uh pretty good in practice as well so like to me like it's a lot to put on those freshmen 
if guys like Jermaine Samuels, Brandon Slater, and Justin Moore like aren't the standouts that I think we're all hoping for. I don't know. Like it's a switchable fun team, but I'm like not. I'm not sold that they are head and shoulders above the rest of this league. And my second question here is like, who is your number two pick in the Big East? Because look, I think I would pick Connecticut right now, but I think Seton Hall would be third. Those are my two teams that I also really, really like this season. And I'm sure that you've heard the same things that I have about how good Kadari Richmond is. But I I think it goes beyond that with Seton Hall, where they, they are so loaded in the backcourt. Like, Bryce Aiken is supposedly healthy right now. Jameer Harris is a really I'll, good I'll, older I'll, transfer I'll believe point that Bryce. I'll, I'll believe Bryce Aiken plays more than 18 games when I see him play more than 18 games. That Like, he just – that that dude's ankles are made out of paper mache. Like, it's just it, – it sucks. I'm not trying to make fun of the kid. Like, he just – he cannot stay healthy. And – um, you know, it is what it is, but I, I will say, this but, he, but even, even with them though, like you have miles kale, who's like a really good wing yeah. and Jared Roden, who's going to oh, yeah. be first team all big East this year. Like they're, they're loaded with perimeter players and, and they're all long and athletic and switchable. Yep. And you're going to have lineups where you basically play like four guys that are six, seven and can guard point guards to power forwards with Ike Obiagu, who is a seven foot two monster in front of the rim. You know, my my hot take is that Seton Hall is going to end up being like a top five uh, defensive team in, in college yeah. basketball this year on Ken Palm. And you combine that with what uh, the expectations are, at least the way that, that the people around the program are kind of building them up for Gadari. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a situation where, like, this team, if the if things break. For them, like I said, like with the top 15, top 20 potential, second week into the NCAA tournament. Now, the bottom could fall out for sure. Like, I don't <laughs> know if I necessarily trust anybody on this roster, but the, the ceiling is there. Um, I, I don't think UConn has the same ceiling that Seton Hall does, but yeah. I feel much more confident in saying, like, this team can win a game in the tournament. This team is a top 25 basketball team than I do – about Seton Hall. Uh, two other things I want to know. Well, Seton, to me, real quick on real quick on Connecticut, I, I just want to bring up, like, to me, they're the team in the Big East that is, like, th- that is the defensive team to beat. Because you have guys like Isaiah Whaley, Tyrese Martin, you have Sonogo, they're going to be able to play big. I've heard really good things about the Samson Johnson freshman, that maybe he can come in and play some minutes as a big immediately behind Sonogo. Like, yeah, to me, this is going to be a crazy length. Yeah, this is going to be a very, very good defensive team. Continue on St. John's. Um, and and you know what's crazy? The the kid you didn't even mention, Jordan Hawkins, sounds like yes. he's going to end up starting at the three yep. for him. Um, mostly because he's he might end up being the best shooter on the roster, not named R.J. Cole, and they need shooting to kind of uh, create space. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it sounds like he might end up starting. Uh, St. John's could end up having the two best players in the conference if things break right for him with uh, with Posh and Julian Champagne. Um, I don't know how much I trust anybody else, but like Posh is a lot of fun and Julian's a lot of fun. It, it, on on yep. the nights where that thing is going well, like they'll be able to to, to beat anybody. <laughs> Posh Alexander eating up Colin Gillespie um, at at, uh, at Carnesecca Arena last year was one of the, the, the best things I saw in college basketball last season. Yeah. And Xavier? Xavier Lowkey, if, if Fremantle can get back from this foot thing he's dealing with, they're going to be dangerous. 
Yeah, I agree. Like, I think Xavier looks like a really potentially good team. Like, I'm not an enormous Zach Fremantle fan, but like between Paul Scruggs and Colby Jones, like they have a case to have the best backcourt in the country or not in the country in the Big Ten, Big East. I'm sorry. Uh, my brain just like momentarily broke there for a second. But Scruggs is an older player who has gotten better as a shooter and can certainly handle uh, a large portion of the offensive load and colby jones is a playmaker man like that dude can really really create shots both for himself and for teammates if he can just cut down the turnovers a little bit i think he has a real shot to be like an outside the box first round pick this year i'm a big colby jones fan everybody has been raving about him coming out I, I, i asked uh we asked travis Steele about that at media day and he was like yeah Colby's that guy. He's he's yeah. he's for real. So and they're old. And the only thing I'll say about Fremantle is like the dude averaged sixteen and nine last year in the Big E. So like we're the worst thing you get is like you know you're, it's going to be production. And I think if you have that production from a big guy on a team that has as good of a backcourt as Xavier is going to end up having this season, like it's it it makes sense. It fits together if he comes back healthy. Like they they need him if they're going to be a team that can. Uh, that can go out and and win win something in the Big East. I don't want to say win the Big East because I'm not quite there, but I think it's the kind of thing where like uh, if they finish second, I would not be all that surprised. Okay, let's go to the Big Ten. I think that my take is that the Big Ten is the best league in the country this year, just top to bottom in terms of having explosively great teams at the top as well as like teams at the bottom that I don't really think I want to play. Right. Like even Nebraska, like with Bryce McGowan's, like they can probably beat you on any given night. Like Penn state, I think can cause some teams, some problems. I think like Rutgers is in the bottom four, according to Ken Palm this year. And I think Rutgers is like a real potential tournament team. So where are we out on how the big 10 shakes out? Like we definitely think this is the best league in the country this year. Right. Yeah, I'm so I'm so torn on that conversation. It's going to be another <laughs> one of these things where it's like they just beat each other up, and when it comes to February, since everybody in that 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 league has uh, good computer numbers, and you know you get down to like 12, 13 teams that are all really good on Kempom and in the net, and in all of these uh, the, these these ratings that we have in college basketball, um, everyone like it's just the the rising tide lifts all ships. Um, so it's going to be this thing where it's like, oh, man, it's so good. They have all of these top 10 teams when it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I think a lot of these teams are kind of in that like, um, you know, that 10 to 20 range more than they are top 10. I just I have such a hard time buying all the way in to teams in the Big Ten when I think that they're just so well suited to playing against each other because they all have these big monsters in the middle. And when you end up going up against teams that can space them out, can take advantage of the fact that these monsters in the middle can't just stand in the paint defensively over and over and over again. Like, there's a reason why Illinois lost in the second round to to Loyola, and I'm just worried about you know that could happen if someone if you're playing Zach Eady 30 minutes, or when you're playing Hunter Dickinson 30 minutes, or when you have Trace Jackson Davis um, playing 35 minutes. It just so I don't know. It, it's going to be a tough league. It's going to be fun to watch. There's going to be so many good games that I don't want to hate on them. But I'm just, I'm kind of at the point where I think the Big Ten looks great because the Big Ten is the only conference in the world that still plays Big Ten basketball. Does that make sense? <laughs> it makes sense to an extent. Yeah, I kind of get it, and I'm glad you brought up the bigs because question ten for me is. 
Kofi Coburn, Trevion Williams, Hunter Dickinson, even like EJ Liddell, Trace Jackson Davis, Zach Eady, like Keegan Murray plays like kind of as a combo big in the same way EJ Liddell does, but like another big. Uh, can you remember the last time a league had this many great bigs? Because like I think people go back to the 2020 year in the Big Ten where it was like, Luca Garza, Daniel Ataru, I think Jalen Smith, uh, and Caleb Wesson was that year as well. Uh, like there were a lot of really, really strong bigs, but th- this year feels like it's a different level to me where there are bigs who are like legit going to kind of carry the load for this league this year uh, and, and like are good enough to actually have success uh, countrywide, not just within the Big Ten. Well, I, I'm I'm glad you qualified that because you said, can you remember the last time that a conference had this many good bigs? And I was going to be like, yeah, last year before they lost the National Player of the Year, um, and and you didn't even mention my my guy Xavier Tillman. How how can you disrespect our Lord and uh, Savior Xavier Tillman like that? Xavier Tillman was great that year, Michigan State too. I, I mean, look like this, it does happen a lot of years where the Big Ten has great bigs, but to me, like I, I can't remember a year where the league brought back this many great bigs. Cause like all of the guys that no, we're talking yeah. about are all the same as the last year, except Luca Garza is gone now. Like Kofi Coburn, Hunter Dickinson, Trevion Williams, Zach Eady. Like these guys were all phenomenal last year and they're just going to get better. Like that's the best thing about teenagers and 20 year old basketball players. They get better every year for the most part. Well, to your point, the, the first team all conference is, is five big guys, right? And on that first team all-conference list, you could probably make an argument for E.J. Liddell, Trevion Williams, Trace Jackson Davis, Hunter Dickinson, and Kofi Coburn, all four first team All-America. And you could also make the argument that Trevion Williams is not even the best big guy on his own team. Like it's it's, it's yeah. crazy how many good big guys there are in the conference. Uh, and, you know, I, I do enjoy it because I, I kind of love throwback basketball in a way. It's just maybe It makes me feel like a little bit of a hipster, but I have no problem watching, like, you know, throw the ball into Hunter Dickinson, see him go up with no right hand and just jump hooks to, uh, possession after possession after possession. But at some point, you're going to run into somebody that's going to be able to space the floor and, and pull you away from the basket and figure out how to uh, how to take advantage of that. So I, I just I'm so torn when it comes to the Big Ten conversation. And that, like that's probably my least favorite part about college basketball season starting is we have to start thinking about like, eh, do we actually like the Big Ten? Are they really that good? Are they overrated? Blah, 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 whatever. I don't know. Kofi Coburn's awesome. I I will say that Michigan is interesting to me. Like Michigan right now is the second favorite to win the national title, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, I will say that they intrigue me because they should be able to throw out Musa Diabate at center and kind of do what they couldn't oftentimes last year, maintaining size and rim protection while also adding defensive flexibility and versatility defensively. Yeah, and I think Jawan is smart enough to be able to figure out a way to make that work. Uh, what do you think of the the freshmen? I'm sorry to go off on another, another tangent, but like Caleb Houston and Diabate and some of the guys at, at Michigan. I, I don't. I, I feel like I haven't seen enough of Caleb Houston to have a good feel for who he is. Yeah, so scouts that I've talked to have been, I I don't want to say they've been underwhelmed, but they have gone in on days where Caleb has not necessarily shot well, maybe, 
And he's definitely a jump shooting dependent player because he's not like a crazy athlete. Like he's six foot eight. He can handle it a little bit, but like it's more straight line stuff. And the biggest addition for them is not going to be any of the freshmen, in my opinion. Although, like, I think Caleb Houston is definitely going to start and be, you know, a double digit scorer. And I think Musa Diabate gives them an incredibly important, uh, defensive, like, chess piece that, Jawan Howard's going to be able to move around as he needs to. The biggest addition is Devontae Jones. Like, Devontae Jones is an elite point guard in college basketball. He's a great decision maker. He's a really tough physical defender at the point of attack. He can score from all three levels. I think that that is, like, by far their most important piece this season. Uh, like, they're, that's the reason why they are a legit, like, top seven team in the country for me. Uh, I, I think that Purdue probably has a little bit higher of an upside than they do. But in terms of, like, median likely outcome, like, I, I just really trust Michigan to be very, very good. Like, probably top five throughout a large portion of the season. And it's in large part because they have Devontae Jones, who is a significant upgrade, in my opinion, on Mike Smith. Yeah, I, I I mostly agree with that take, although I do kind of find myself in a in a situation where I want to say, like, all right, let's I want to wait and see before I go all in on Devontae Jones, because I've been suckered in on mid-major point guards <laughs> trying to make that jump before and it just never Man, I, translated to the to the bigger level but i know i, I get I, but, it but I'll, I, I'll tell I you though like i had the same questions about him going into the pre-draft process and he performed really really well in the pre-draft process going up against like very very high level players uh in workouts and at the g league elite camp like i i i really totally buy into those questions but uh he, he was very very impressive to me uh in that in the, like the time that we saw him play other elite level talent right right I, so, so we, we kind of tease this a little bit but i do just want to say about illinois real quick i think that their ceiling is the number one offense in college basketball this year because i love the idea of putting uh andre corbello and kofi coburn into ball screens with alfonso Plummer around him with demonte williams around him with trent frazier around him with uh jacob granderson around him with austin hutcherson around him with all of these guys that are going to end up being like 40 plus percent three-point shooters i just don't know how how you stop that when you have a guy that can pass as well as corbello can pass assuming like he kind of gets the, the turnovers under control a little bit which i'm i'm expecting yeah to, to me how you yeah like how, how you stop that is that he doesn't shoot and he turns the ball over like you use play drop and you guard Kofi as well as you can um, and play him as a non-scorer until he proves that he can score. And he really might prove that he can score. He's an incredibly uh, creative player who's like a genius level IQ guy. But I, I don't know, man. Like uh, I have some questions about Illinois. Um, you, you mentioned like the number one potential offense in the country. I mean, look, they lose the like def- or offensive coordinator on last year's team in Stephen Gentry, who went back to his alma mater at Gonzaga to replace Tommy Lloyd on staff. So like, mm-hmm. does their offense change a little bit from what it was last year where they had, you know, three different ball screen options in, I would assume Trent Frazier and Andre Curbelo, like reducing that by one and reducing it by the best of the bunch in IO. Like how much does that hurt them? Who do they go to in late game scenarios? Like I, I think that they are the clear number four team among the big 
10 teams. Like I would have them below Ohio state personally, but above like the Michigan state and Maryland group. Yeah. I, 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 I'm kind of torn because I think again, going back to my point about the big 10, I think Illinois is going to function better in the league than Ohio state is. But if I had to pick one of those teams to make a run in March, I I would pick the team that got upset by a number 15 seat last year in the tournament in Ohio state. Just because what what happened to Virginia, baby. Yeah, exactly. It's Ohio State's here. They're one of the title. Book it. Let's go. Chris oh, my Hall God. Cutting down the nets. I love it. I'm, I'm in on this Ohio State team, too. I'm excited for them. Uh, let's go to the Big 12. I, am I missing something on Kansas? Like, why are they in, like, everyone's consensus top three to start the year? Uh, okay, for me, um, I would probably have them uh, top five more than top three. But the reason why I'm all in on them is, one – Bill Self to Bill Self coaching David McCormick over the last six weeks of last season. Uh, I love the idea of Oshai and Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson and um, whom I, there's a, they they have like five guys that are like kind of like that six, five to six, eight uh, positionless kind of a deal. And they have options at the point. Now it sounds like Dewan Harris is a guy that is getting the most hype coming in uh, to the season simply because he's the guy that will actually listen to what Bill Self wants him to do. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, but I, I just I get it because they're going to have a team that they can space the floor and create those little duckins for David McCormick. And uh, Bill Self is better than anybody in the country at finding a way to create space for his big man to get a seal and a layup or a seal and a little like turnaround jump hook from a foot away from the basket and as long as David McCormick decides like hey I'm just gonna be seven foot 250 and go through people and make this shot as opposed to trying to do like these little turnaround fadeaways and touch shots uh, I think that they're gonna end up being really really good so uh, I I totally get it Um, I am very concerned about the fact that uh, you are trusting Remy Martin to be a team that's gonna be the leader of men that's trying to uh, win a national title because I don't think that Remy Martin is a winning basketball player, but I, I mean, I, I get it. I, I totally okay, so, get what people see with this roster. So like, why are they better than Purdue? So Purdue has two better bigs, in my opinion, than David McCormick and Trevion Williams and Zach Eady. I might not put up the numbers that David McCormick does just because McCormick is going to play a lot more minutes. Like he'll probably play, seven or eight more minutes per game than either of those two, just because they're going to split time. They have a better, they have a much better point guard, like much better perimeter player than anything on Kansas in Jaden Ivy. I've kind of outlined like why I buy into their floor spacers and their shooters a little bit better, but maybe that's it. Like maybe people don't buy into like the shooting as much as I do. Uh, I, I kind of think Baylor is better than Kansas this year. Like, Adam Flagler and Matthew Mayer and like Kendall Brown and James Akinjo. Like I think these guys are just better than the players on Kansas outside of maybe uh, David McCormick. And if O'Shea Ogbaji like can take the next step from where he was like the mad, like O'Shea Ogbaji through his first three seasons has been the most maddening college basketball player to watch because you can see the talent, but you can also just like watch the gears turning in his brain as he plays. And it's just not natural for him to like 
take over and be the number one offensive threat. And you can argue that like maybe he doesn't have to be that this year, but that's very reliant on Remy Martin not annoying the shit out of Bill Self. And that seems unlikely to me, to be honest. So like I, I, I worry about how talented this Kansas team actually is. I worry about how well it fits what Bill Self actually wants to do. Uh, are, are we sure that this is like a great defense? Because like maybe David McCormick is really good and O'Shea is a good defender. Uh, I think he gets like a little bit overrated there. I think Remy Martin really gets overrated defensively. Uh, he plays hard and picks up like 94 feet, but he's terrible off the ball. Like Who rates Remy Martin defensively? Oh, dude, go back through the Pac-12 years. You will see Pac-12 defensive team votes for Remy Martin. It's weird. Like people, Whatever. people equated playing hard with being good defensively, and that's just like not how it really works. Well, he, he guards for ninety four feet, and he ends up with pretty good steals numbers, and he's the star. Yeah. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna get put on those lists. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but what I will say, so you mentioned like I, I think they're like a top fifteen team. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think Kansas is gonna win like probably twenty five games. I, I just like. I'm trying to figure out why they are better than, say, uh, Purdue, say, Baylor, uh, you know, uh, like Duke. Like, I would have Duke ahead of them. I would have Kentucky ahead of them, to be honest. Like, I, I like Kentucky. I, well, I, like, I, I like Kentucky this year. Um, if you can kind of uh, hold your nose and squint and pretend that they're going to be a good defensive team. Um, what I will say about Purdue, it, it, there's a situation where – if it doesn't work out with Trevion Williams and Zach Eady playing together, that you could have a team that cannot get their two best players on the floor together. And if you combine that with... Um, no, because like no, J- Jaden Ivey is good. Jaden Ivey is like the best perimeter player in the Big Ten, I think. Maybe. Or it could be something like... You're you're banking on him being a... like Improving on the jump shooting. What happens if he shoots 26% from three again? Is he still the best perimeter player in the Big Ten? He's probably pretty close even with that because, I mean, he averaged like 16 games a freshman last year late in the year. No, no, no. I got you. I got you. Um, But all I'm saying is that there is a world where you cannot get your five best players on the floor because you cannot play Trevion Williams and Zach Eady together. If the shooting does not come together for Purdue, that, that will be able to create the space for those big guys to operate. Like it's, I, I, look, I'm not saying that Purdue's going to suck, but I, I can understand why people are going to say, hey, you know what? I don't know if I fully buy into this team yet. Um, with Kansas, I get it. Like I, I, I'm, I'm basically at the point where I'm going to bet on Bill Self. I'm going to bet on him with a great big, and I'm going to bet on him having a team uh, buying into this idea of, of kind of going small ball. Uh, you mentioned Baylor. Like, I love Baylor, too, though. You know, I don't yeah. want this to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm slandering Baylor. Well, let's go, to, let's go to question 12 real quick here. So, like, everyone has Kansas winning the Big 12 right now, but who is your favorite if Kansas does not win the Big 12? Is it Baylor? Well, it, I think that I would have Texas as my favorite regardless, just because I think that um, I'm going to trust Chris Beard with what I would argue is probably the best roster when you combine everything. Um, although I think that it's very much like a top three in the Big 12, and I think I would have all of those top three in my top like seven. Uh, I think, yeah, I think I have Baylor yeah. seventh right now. So, I, I mean, I love all the top three teams. And like to be clear – 
I think you'd probably need to have Gonzaga number one, and then anything from like two to twelve, you can argue whatever it is. Like that's the the best part about this season is that there are a lot of like really really good teams, and you can make an argument for for any of those teams to be top five, and any of those top five teams to be like outside the top ten, and that's kind of like exactly what we're doing right here. There's there's just there's so many like really really good teams that have flaws, and I think that's going to make for a very fun and entertaining uh, year. But just to real quick on Baylor, um, I've heard great things coming out of there about James Akinjo and just the way that he's kind of bought in. The biggest thing that he dealt with is like this dude is uh, you could say competitive to a fault if you wanted to. You could say yeah. that he was an asshole if you wanted to. Uh, I don't know how many people on that Arizona roster would still be on that Arizona roster if James Akinjo was on that Arizona roster. Uh, but I do know that the, the former coaching staff loved him. And I do know that he is now in a place that values winning, that values competitiveness, uh, and that takes basketball as seriously as James does. And I talked with Scott about this at um, – at, at, at a peach jam and like he's like yeah this dude he's he's the real deal he he's great in ball screens and if you look at what yeah. Baylor's offense was last year like it was basically an NBA offense they played four around one with three guys that can run ball screens and everybody that can shoot and just do a bunch of lobs at the rim yeah they're, offensively they're not going to lose much because they're going to have Flagler stepping in to the Jared Butler roles like the secondary ball handler they have Akinjo stepping into the primary like point guardy role with Davion Mitchell's departure, uh, Matthew Mayer, you know, played significant minutes. Obviously, Kendall Brown is like just a freak show athlete uh, and has a chance to like really explode on the scene. And then they have the same centers is what they did. So I, I kind of think that this team's probably going to be fine offensively. It's just what do they do defensively? Because Akinjo and Flagler are not what Butler and Mitchell were defensively at the point of attack. But I- I'm with you. I actually really really like this Baylor team. Like, I- and I really like like I think James Akinjo has kind of gotten a bad rap. Uh, from his time throughout college basketball thus far. I, I don't think he's like, I don't think he is what he's been portrayed as. Like, I, I think it all comes from, like you said, a level of competitiveness and wanting to be great. And sometimes uh, that manifesting itself as looking somewhat selfish on the court. But I don't actually think that's who he is in terms of like personality. Yeah, and it's also he. If you're not taking it as seriously as he does, like he's not gonna, he's not the kind of person that's gonna be quiet about it, right? Which is why there are some people that would call him an asshole. But um, I, I think that 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 doesn't stem from him being a bad dude. It it stems from him being in situations that were not the best for somebody that takes the 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 game and has the approach on the sport that he does. Is that am I making sense there? No, you are. I think you're absolutely right on that. Uh, let's go to the next league here, which is going to be the Pac-12. Uh, you know, we talked about UCLA a bit at the top, but they went to the Final Four last year, and then they returned all of their top ten rotation players, plus brought in a top ten recruit in Peyton Watson, and an all ten level defender in Miles Johnson at the center position, which was their biggest hole last year. Do we think that they're the Final Four team that they were last year when they got hot late? Or do we think that they are more the early season team that kind of struggled uh, throughout the first half of last year? Uh, because look, like the team is basically what it was last year, just those two additions. So 
trying to figure out what exactly they are is like something of an open question, at least, I think. Well, I also think it's important to note that what they were at the start of the season um, included Chris Smith, right? And then yeah. there was a drop off after he, I mean, he tore his ACL. And then they get to the tournament and, like, they actually started defending in the tournament. I think that's the big difference is they decided that they wanted to play defense. And yes, Johnny Juzang went nuts and, and Jaime Hawkins started making some big shots. And they had the Jules Bernard kid um, got hot in a couple games. Uh, but I think the big thing was defense. Um, they played defense at a better level than they did throughout the entire season. And you mentioned Miles Johnson. I think it's also worth noting Peyton Watson is probably going to be their best perimeter defender. And all of a sudden, you have like two guys that are, are really good perimeter defenders, and him and Jaime Jaquez, with yep. one of the best defensive fives in college basketball, which was like the biggest hole. That like like Miles Johnson is, is like he's so good on the block. Like he's he's tough. He's physical. He knows where he needs to be. He understands like how to be big, which is not something that a lot of like big guys understand how to do. Um, he has no problem just you know kind of being physical and, and taking up space and blocking shots and getting rebounds. And if you give him the occasional like lob or dump off or post touch. So I just, I think it works. And I think that this team is built in the mold of a Mick Cronin team. And here's my hottest take. I, I don't know if this is necessarily a hot take, but my hottest take is the best player on that roster is Jaime Jaquez. And he's going to end up being a first team all American when this thing is all said and done. Yeah. I've been saying that like since the end of last season, I feel like I, I think he's so good. Uh, I, I, completely 100% agree with you uh, on Hawkes. I think he is their best player. Uh, he's their most well-rounded player. He can be a hub uh, at the high post and you can run offense through him that way. He is a terrific team defender. He's a good passer, even though that like his passing numbers aren't elite. And I'm really glad you brought up the defense too, because I, I think that he is a terrific defender that uh, didn't quite make the all pack 12 team uh, defensively, I believe last year, but wouldn't have looked out of place on that team at all. He's a shot creator who can actually like get to his own shot uh, off of like a ball screen or off of an isolation at the college level. Yeah, I- I'm an enormous, enormous Jaime Hawkes fan. Like you might be the only person that like really passes me in terms of Jaime Hawkes fandom. If you are right now, just wait until you see what his flow is looking like now that the the season. Is oh, coming. really? Like, I, I, is it good? Yeah, I. I Oh man, it's unbelievable! It's I, I don't even. I'm just gonna let. I, I'm not gonna spoil it for the game theory listeners. You're gonna have to watch Friday night, 11:30 p.m. Eastern tip-off time against Villanova. Top five showdown. You gotta watch to see what Hamiakas is looking like now. But I promise you, when you see him, you're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, that dude's a first team All American." Look at that. Floor. Beautiful, love it. Um, okay, let's go to my next question with the league. Like, I, I can't get a feel beyond UCLA right now. Uh, USC has some real questions at lead ball handler and in replacing everything that Evan Mobley did. Oregon has a ton of transfers that may or may not be good. And Will Richardson, it feel like, feels like just like hasn't gotten a clean bill of health uh, for the last couple of years. Colorado loses McKinley Wright, who, other than Evan Mobley, was probably the most important player in the Pac-12 last year to a single team. Uh, Arizona's talented with Matherin and Tabellas uh, with a new coach that I think is really going to be just as good as what Sean Miller was early in Sean Miller's tenure. Like I'm a big believer in Tommy Lloyd, but I don't know necessarily if year one, it's going to be incredible. Arizona state's talented. I kind of think Washington state is like really underrated, but 
like you could tell me any of those two, any of those what one, two, three, four, five, six teams, uh, plus Stanford with a you know terrific uh, you know long front court of Spencer Jones, Harrison Ingram, and Jaden Delaire. Like you could tell me any of those teams finish second. You could tell me any of those teams finish eighth. And like I don't think I'd be blown away by that. So wh- where are you with the rest of the Pac-12? I mean, I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, I'm a little higher on Oregon, I think, than you are just because it feels like every year we're saying, yeah, he's got a bunch of transfers. I don't know how it's going to work out. And then you look up at the end of the season and Dana Altman's got things working. So I I think that Oregon, like in that kind of like uh, 15 to 20 range, probably makes sense. I think that it's fair to say that they're probably the second best team in the Pac-12 just because I don't know who else you would put in that second spot. Um, Arizona, I, I... I think that there is a very real ceiling there if everything comes yeah. together um, for a couple of reasons. One, you mentioned Benedict and you mentioned Azulis. I think that those two guys both could end up being uh, draft picks next year or yep. this year, um, this year's draft. I, I don't know how long they're going to end up staying there, uh, which kind of tells you how, how good I think that group is. Um, I think Pele Larson coming in is going to matter. I think um, Justin Kyer from Georgia, uh, who was at Georgia Mason before that, is better than what he showed uh, when he kind of got stuck in the Tom Green system with a bunch of little guards that wanted to play up-tempo. That dude is a good basketball player. I saw him a lot when he was at Georgia Mason. Um, And the last thing that I'll mention is Umar Balo. Okay? If you look at what Mark Few's teams want to do, they want to get out and run in transition. They want to run a bunch of ball screens. And want, they want to get duck-ins for the big monsters that they have at the five. There's a reason why, like, Shemit Karnowski was so good for that program. And Robert Sacre was so good for that program. And, um, I mean, the list just goes on and on with big guys that just had success there. And I think Umar Balo is a guy that's kind of built in that mold. Now, he was never going to get time at Gonzaga because you're playing behind the likes of Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. Like, you're just, you're never going to get minutes. Drew Timmy is the best in the country when it comes to sealing and getting position and making something happen around the basket. And you're going to be able to play him for 35 minutes a game for however long he wants to be there. Uh, I understand why Umar Ballo left. He needs to play at some point. He's already a, but is he a redshirt junior now? This is, mm-hmm. is this his fourth year? You could tell me he's a he's a third year freshman, and I would buy that. <laughs> Given like the weirdness of like clocks now, like I, I, he's definitely in his third year there, but he might still be like a freshman in terms of like the clock that ticks, right? Well, whatever it is, when he went on his recruiting visit, he was hosted by Kevin Pangos. Um, so I think that he just makes <laughs> so much sense as the uh, the five to play in that system that Mark Few would play. And I'm expecting what Tommy Lloyd is going to do is something like at least a little bit similar. You know, he was with the guy for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to imagine that some of those those kind of ideas uh, were uh, were infused into his brain. So I, I think Omar Ballo makes a lot of sense there. And like the Coloco kid, I think is is usable. So I like I like Arizona's upside. Um, USC, I kind of need to see it to believe it. But like, I mean, I think Boogie Ellis has a chance to be pretty good. Like if things all go together for him and then you get to like Drew Peterson, Isaiah White, Isaiah, like they have some good role players, but they don't really have yeah. like a dude, right? Like who's there? Yeah, no, it's, it's going to have to be Isaiah Mobley. And I don't know how much I buy that. Yeah. So there's no one on that team. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about like USC has uh 10 C out in the first round written all over them. 
Yeah, and then like Colorado, I mean, I just don't I don't I think people are like drastically underrating how important McKinley Wright was. Like he is so vital to what they did. No, I, I haven't even paid attention to anybody other than Washington State in that conference. I think just they're good. I want to be able to. I, I look. I want to be able to say that I discovered F.A. Abogidi. Okay, I've been talking about yeah. F.A. Abogidi's been mentioned on at least like seven podcasts that I've done in the last year. Could could that's my that's my guy, man. Like <laughs> we we I've, I've been on that bit. He he posterized someone last year, like three weeks into the season. I think I was only watching that because of uh, a coaching friend of ours kept talking about this program and um and so like i was watching some like random game at one o'clock in the morning and he posterized the dude and i was like oh who is this guy so i started paying attention to him it's like he's he he might be real he he might not but like he might be real too but i'll throw out a couple other names too noah williams is like an all pack 12 level guard Mm -hmm. there who is really really good and then muhammad who's the kid they got from south alabama uh, who is the kid they got from South Alabama? I, I know the kid they got from Prolific Prep, not uh, not South Alabama. I'm blank. Let me, I got, let me hold on. Let me figure this out. Keep talking. Keep talking. So, uh, yeah, I, I can try to find it as well. But it's an interesting deal with Washington State because we both really like uh, – oh, you're talking about Michael Flowers from Texas Southern? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So interesting player, obviously, like high usage throughout the course of his career. We'll see how it goes. But like we really like Kyle Smith, too. Like we think Kyle Smith can really play or can really uh, like coach and get the most out of his players. So like, I don't <laughs> hey, know. Look, I'm, I heard he's been absolutely tearing up the noontime. Oh, my God. On the Wazoo campus. I knew that was coming from you. As soon as I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, fuck, this is dumb. Um <laughs> But no, like, I, I think that this is a good team. Like, I think that where I'm at is Washington State is a team worth buying into. And that Kyle Smith, like, I mean, if he wins this year and he gets Washington State back to the tournament, like, I, I mean, he might not be long for Washington State. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, if you get – Washington State might be the worst job on the planet. Not just in college basketball. Like, the worst it's a tough job, job. It's a really tough job. Yeah. Okay, let's go. We have to we have to zoom past. We can't spend too much time on Washington State. Uh, <laughs> is the SEC the deepest league in the country this year in terms of talent uh, on a top to bottom level? Do you think it's a little bit deeper than the Big Ten? I don't know if it has the upper level talent, but do you think there are more good teams in the SEC? So I've I've made this point multiple times. I think that there are eight teams that are going to make the tournament from this this league: Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, Auburn, LSU, Florida, Mississippi State. That does not include a team that is coached by Buzz Williams. That does not include a team that is coached by Frank Martin. That does not include a team that is coached by Conzo Martin. That does not include a team that is coached by Kermit Davis. That does not include a team that is coached by your favorite Tom Crean. And that does not include hey, I'm coached. I'm a I'm a Tom Crean guy. We don't. We don't we don't hate on Tom in this on this show. Let me get let me get the Jerry Stackhouse shout out in there before he blocks me on Twitter again. I you know what like I think Jerry does a great job. Like I, I know that they haven't won games, but that team runs really fucking good offense. Like I, I am no, you like he's I, I'm on I'm on the Jerry Stackhouse is not a bad basketball coach bandwagon. Yeah, I'm not like ready to I, say I'm, he's good. I'm but I'm ready to say he's not bad. Yeah, I'm I'm relatively in on the stack bandwagon thing. Um, yeah, no, look, like Florida's a weird team. Like that team could go one of two ways for sure. Like could be really good, could be really bad. We haven't talked really about Arkansas yet on this show, and I, I kind of think Arkansas might be pretty darn good this year. 
it's it's going to take a little while to get there. They have some moving parts and some guys stepping into new roles and some players that I think they thought were going to end up being better. And there's a lot of uh, how can I blending personalities that's going to take a little bit of time <laughs> to work there. But if it all makes sense, um, you know they have big kind of isolation scores. They have guys that can take advantage of mismatches, and I think that must is as good as any coach in the country at doing the NBA thing where he finds a mismatch and he just goes to it every yeah. single possession over and over and over and over again. And it, like it'll be the most boring thing to watch. But there were times last year where all he did was Jalen Tate had somebody that was six one on him and he just gave the ball to Jalen Tate every single possession of the second half and they would erase like fifteen point deficits because nothing could stop him. <laughs> and he would just do that over and it just seems like so basic, but he does that. He has no problem doing that. Uh, to me, the key comes down to Jalen Williams. I thought Justin Smith was like one of the most underrated players in college basketball last year, mm. just because like what he can provide defensively and kind of like that versatility. I think Jalen Williams needs to be that dude, and I think that he can be that dude. But it's also like I haven't seen him be that dude, so I- I'm not. I- the potential is there. I need to. I kind of want to wait until I go all the way in on a team that that. You know, was down by 16 with eight minutes left to a Division two program in an exhibition. Yeah, it, it's going to take some time. Uh, you know, not a, not the biggest fan of mixing like Chris likes with JD Note, right? Like that that's probably going to take a minute to figure some stuff out. Like Devo Davis, like might be their best player if things like really go well for him in terms of development. But I don't know. Like I, I think that they're going to be a fun team. Like I think that. Uh, you know, you, you kind of look around the league, you look at Tennessee, like Tennessee could be really good with their backcourt with Kennedy Chandler and Justin Powell coming in, uh, to go with Viscovi and then Fulkerson in the front court. And obviously, uh, Josiah Jordan James, who's probably their best player. Like you can just kind of look across the board and you're kind of excited about a lot. Uh, I really like Alabama too. Like I, I think Alabama is going to be really good. They have a team that makes sense for the way Nate Oates wants to play. Uh, you know, really, really great backcourt players and Javon Quinterly and Jaden Shackelford yeah. and you know JD Davison can at least like add something as a freshman, if not be a really good freshman. Like it, it's a good group. Like I'm really excited to see what uh, Alabama does as well. I've I, I'm stealing this from my podcast partner Terrence Oglesby, but. A great hot take on this Alabama team is that Javon Quinlan is going to end up being a first team All American. Because if they, if Alabama ends up being like a top five to eight team in college basketball this year, yeah. it's because Quinterly ends up being like a an eighteen and eight kind of a guy at Alabama. And I don't think that's much of an exaggeration because of the pace that they play at. Um, two things that I want to know: one, uh, with Tennessee, I, I just wish we would have gotten a chance to see them with Kennedy Chandler and the talent they had last year because it felt like last season they had a whole bunch of players that thrived at finishing off a play and they didn't have someone that could create that first initial action, whether it's coming off a ball screen and, and you know creating a pass or getting into the lane and creating a closeout for Keon Johnson. They didn't have the dude that could initiate um, and to let some of the talent around them create and I just wish they would have had the opportunity to do that last year uh, we don't need to dive back into the conversation about Tennessee from last season because I talked about that too much last year uh, but you know what I, we should I, do I, we should dive well, into Kentucky yeah I, oh, before we get into like, I know I know that's coming up next I just want to say Auburn if Alan Flanagan comes back from this Achilles healthy yep. 
They they are a team that is built to make a run in March. They have three really good transfer guards coming in that fit Bruce uh, Bruce Pearl's style. Um, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler. They have big athletic guys in the front court, and those two guys really make sense together as well. I think and make sense yes. within the scheme. Yes, but Alan Flanagan to me is the guy that will be their best player. Um, and if he is not held, I mean, he's got. I guess it wasn't like a rupture, but he had like a partially torn Achilles that you just needed. I don't. I can't remember if they, he needed surgery on it, but like he's not going to be healthy until mid December, and he's probably not going to be a hundred percent until like mid January. And who knows if he's ever going to get to uh, his best before the season's over? But if he does, that's a team that has a serious ceiling. I think. Okay, let's go to Kentucky. How weird is this Kentucky team to you? <laughs> like it's just a weird group, isn't it? Like. I like I think I'm probably higher on Ty Ty Washington than any other like evaluator in like the college basketball public sphere. I think he's awesome. I think he's a winner. I think that like everything he brings to the table is exactly what this Kentucky team needs. I think Kellen Grady's gonna be helpful. I don't know totally what they're gonna do with the point guard position because I worry about what Severe Wheeler looks like whenever the game slows down and like he has to make half court decisions. Like, I wonder if they're just going to be better off with Ty Ty running the show. And if that's the case, like you're probably better off with like a floor spacer or a wing out there. Uh, what does their front court end up like kind of shaking out as with Keon Brooks and uh, Oscar Shebway and obviously Damian Collins, who's like a pogo stick of a freshman. I just don't know. Like, I'm really interested to see how this Kentucky team shakes out. It's a really talented group. It's an older group. It's definitely a weird group, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird seeing a team that can actually make shots and, and wear, like, a Kentucky jersey on the front. I think you're right about Ty Ty. If Kentucky ends up being the team we want them to be, it's because Ty Ty is an All-American. Um, I just think... Like, I think Severe Wheeler is a good player, but I think if this Kentucky team is going to be Final Four national title good, it's Ty Ty is a killer at the point, like a 15-4 and four guy at the point. Kind of in uh, – I'm trying to think, like, who, who – who, whose shoes could he fill on this Kentucky team? Um, I, like, I what, what, what past Kentucky point guard is he similar to? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I'm just trying to like it's not See, that that's the thing with him. Yeah. I, I I don't think that he's really similar to anything they've had in the past. Like he's more of a physical like it's probably closer to Emmanuel Quickly than anything else, but it's different in that I think he has more shake off the bounce uh than what Quickly did. Yeah, cuz I'm you've probably seen more of him than I have. But he really just feels like one of these kind of, I'm going to get to my spot, I'm going to raise up, and I'm going to make the shot, and you're not going to be able to stop me kind of a dudes, right? It's it's that, and like he processes the game really well. He's a really good passer and playmaker. He's not a crazy athlete. Like He has that in common with Quickly, and he has really, really long arms. Like That's the other thing that is comparable with Quickly. Like He uses his length really well. But he's more physical than what Emmanuel was. Like, he'll take guys, like, if he's a smaller guard matchup, like, if they play big across the backcourt with, like, him and Kellen Grady, and then they play, like, Keon Brooks at the three, and then the two bigs in Shibway and Damian Collins, and, like, he gets a mismatch, like, with a six foot guard, he'll take that dude on the block and, like, try and score in the post and can kind of do it, too. So, I, I don't. I don't know. He's he's a different kind of guy than what they've had in the past in a good way. Like I I think it's actually like a real 
not to say the guards they've had in the past are not great. Like they've had phenomenal guards. It's just a different kind of deal in a way that aligns with the way that I think about basketball uh, in so far as like, I think he's going to really help them win games by being able to play both on and off ball, make decisions, knock down shots and just do a lot of things that this team really needs. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with all of that. And I think it makes a lot of sense in kind of the modern era of basketball, we haven't seen a ton of guys like this for Kentucky. I think that when you put them on a floor that's going to be spaced with guys like C.J. Frederick and guys like Kevin Grady, maybe even a Davion Mintz, you allow someone like Oscar Shibwe space in the paint to be able to operate, and you take advantage of the fact that Keon Brooks is kind of like the perfect small ball four for a situation like this. And you can rotate in guys like Damian College. You can play big if you need to. You can play small and go super athletic, put him at the flat. Like, there's so many different things you can do. I need to see Coach Calipari buy into the idea of playing mo- a modern style, right? Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's something that is necessarily going to happen. But if it does, I look, I said this on our pod. Like, I think that I, I have them in the Final Four right now. Right? I think that it's all going to come together. I think the shooting is going to be there. I think they're going to be good enough defensively to get there. And, and look, it's, it's kind of buying into Ty Ty being a stud, but I, I think I think he is. I think he is. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm in on this Kentucky team. Okay. Question number, what are we on? We're on 17 now. We haven't talked a lot about the American yet. The American is a conference that, over the last few years, certainly has emerged uh, to be on par with many of the highest level uh, leagues in the country, the quote unquote big six uh, leagues that you see across college basketball. Uh, they were not all that close last year, the Big East, in, in terms of being in the top six, but they were right there with the ACC, Pac 12, and the SEC in 2020. Uh, in 2019, they were the sixth best league in the country. In 2018, uh, they were right there again with like the Pac 12 as the sixth best team, so or as the sixth best league. So this league is very, very strong, and they have two teams that most people have in the top 20, let's say, in Memphis and Houston. Which of those two teams, Houston and Memphis, do you prefer coming into the year? I I have to say Houston. I have to do it. Simply because I I don't even bother looking at the rosters anymore when it comes to Houston, right? By the way, they have dudes again. Like, I'm just going to say, they have dudes. I know, like, but what I, I just, I just assume that Kelvin Sampson is going to have like three or four really good bucket getting guards. They're going to have a couple really good, tough, physical, uh, whip your ass, win the fight, then worry about winning the basketball game kind of big guys, and that they're just going to figure it out. So I'm just going to pencil them into my top 15, and then I'll go back and figure out exactly who they have and, and how it's all going to shake out and how it's going to work. But they're, they're just going to be good. They're going to be tough. They're going to be physical. They're going to win basketball games. Um, and so I, I got to I, I gotta be on, on the Houston bandwagon. And you, you mentioned they have dudes. I'm just going to mention some of them real quick. Marcus Sasser, stud. Jamon Mark, stud. Kyler Edwards, I think that this system is the perfect situation for him. Second chance guy. Those guys have had a lot of success at Houston over the last couple of years. So I'm going to hashtag him stud as well. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned, you know, having a big guy that plays really well within the scheme. Fabian White is back, and that's kind of a perfect big guy to play in the scheme. So I agree with you totally. Uh, 
Memphis, real quick, though, you know, obviously they're the high profile team. They have Imani Bates. They have Jalen Duran. I'm a big believer that Jalen Duran is going to have an enormous freshman season. I think that it's going to take Imani some time, like kind of having talked to some people that have been down to his practice there and you know, some NBA scouts. Like this isn't to say that his long term upside isn't what people think it is. Uh, although, like, I've been a little bit skeptical of Imani in the past, just given what his frame is. Uh, I I do believe, though, that it's just going to take him a little bit of time to adjust to college basketball, especially given the fact that they have him playing a lot of point right now. And and I worry just kind of what that whole situation kind of ends up being for him uh, when it comes down to it. Yeah, I'm worried about him, too. And and I also think it's worth pointing out that not only is this kid coming in as like a 175-pound freshman, not only is he actually reclassifying and enrolling in college as a 17-year-old that is so young that he is not going to be eligible for the 2022 NBA draft. He has to do two years in college or the G League or whatever uh, whatever route he ends up going after this season. So I, I've done as much as I can this offseason to try to temper expectations on Imani just because I think that we've done enough to kind of fuck with this kid's psyche by putting him yeah. on the cover of Sports Illustrated and calling him the next Kevin Durant when he was 14 years old. Like, I, I'm, give the kid a chance to be a kid, and we'll see what ends up happening in a couple of years when he's draft eligible. That's the way that I kind of look at it with Amadi Bates at this point. Um, I worry about the point guard play. Yep. I worry about the, the ball distribution. I worry about how they're going to be able to initiate offense. Uh, I think if it comes to a situation where Alex Lomax is your best point guard and you have to play him, that is not going to be a good thing because you are not going to have your five best basketball players on the floor, and that is always a red flag for me. Now, the thing about it is I feel very confident saying that this is going to be a top three defense in college basketball. They were number one in defensive efficiency last season. They were top five defensive efficiency two seasons ago. That was before they brought Larry Brown in, and that was with teams that were significantly less athletic and tough and physical and long than what they have on this year's roster. It's all going to come down to just how good they can be on the offensive end of the floor. And the last thing that I'll mention, Sam, I think last year Memphis was very clearly a top 30 team in America. I think that they kind of got screwed a little bit by the fact that it was a weird COVID season that kind of limited what their non-conference was. They got screwed out of uh, a game at home against Houston because of COVID protocols, and they came within a buzzer beater of beating Houston on two different occasions uh, that would have changed what uh, the projection of the, the outcome of their season would have ended up being. They would have been a tournament team if they won one of those two games. Uh, yep. So – I'm not like all these people are like, eh, Penny can't coach. No, you know what? He's had some issues getting easy looks for teams that weren't put together to be successful offensively. But you're not the best defensive team in college basketball if you're not a good basketball coach, especially when he's the guy that has the defense on that roster. Um, so I, I just I, I like to get that rant out of the way about Penny as well. But to, to answer your question, no, I, I agree with you. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up. They, they one, they are the most interesting team. In, in in the sport, without a doubt. Got Penny Hardaway, Larry Brown, Rasheed Wallace, Amani Banks, Jalen Duran. They have so much. They they really need to make this be like a reality TV show. Because I think if we can get all access for this, like I, I would watch that. I would binge watch that twice, probably. Um, it's going to be a weird year in Memphis. 
I, I need to see it all come together. Can you give me like the 45 second breakdown of Jalen Duran? Because I have a lot of takes on Jalen Duran, and, and I don't think we have the time for me to go through all of my takes on Jalen Duran. Yeah, physical as hell. I mean, six foot ten, seven foot five wingspan. You know, looks like an NBA player right now. Moves his feet well, not like at the Bam at a bio, like twitchy, freaky level, but well enough to be able to guard out on the perimeter. Terrific rim protector. Uh, really, when he plays hard defensively, and I think he will play hard defensively consistently for Memphis. He probably it's hard for me to imagine someone more impactful defensively than what Jalen Duran has a chance to be this year uh, for Memphis at the rim, given the way that their scheme feeds guys uh, into the basket uh, whenever they play half court defense. So offensively, it's going to take some time, you know, not the most skilled player, but uh, if he can get any sort of like distribution into him into advantageous positions where he can just like be more athletic than people on lobs on post seals with entry passes he's going to be really really effective like i i would think he averages like 15 points 10 rebounds three blocks a game like pretty easy this year yeah i I, what i like to tell people is that i think he's going to kind of be something similar to what Anyeka okongu was his, yeah. his freshman year, and he's yep. he's going to have enough flashes where we kind of say like, yeah, look, you, you see some of those passes. Maybe if it all comes together, we can have some kind of bam type deal impact. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think that he's the the rim running, the athleticism, the physicality, all of that is just completely off the charts. So the only thing I'll say is uh, two things I want to say. One, um, he he's a guy that relies on being. Uh, more physical, more athletic, and playing harder than everyone. And from what I've seen, I saw him. I think I watched like six of his games at Peach Jam. Like that, that engine is not always revved up, right? He needs he needs to be motivated. He needs to be playing hard. And I think that will happen when he's at Memphis. And two, I, I can't remember the last time that I saw a dude so scared of getting offensive fouls playing at, at that level than Jalen Duran was. Like the referees were just waiting for him to touch someone for them to fall yeah. down and call him for a charge. And I think at the college level, one, if you got Rasheed Wallace helping you, I think you're going to get better offensively and kind of figure out how to. And, and by the way, I, I do want to do want to mention on Rasheed, like I, I felt like people kind of questioned that higher a little bit when it happened. But you talk to people around basketball, and they will tell you that Rasheed's reputation as a coach, especially for bigs, is really really good. Like he has done a really good job learning and developing his own coaching skills uh, in order to be effective in that regard. Yeah, and he was doing it. The, he he started the same way Penny did. He was doing it as like an assistant high school whatever. Yep. Just because he wanted to do it, not because he was looking for a paycheck. And those yep. are the guys I think are the ones you want to try to get in the fold and work with you. Yeah, and the last team I do want to mention here in the American. I think Wichita is going to be really good. Uh, Tyson Etienne is an awesome lead guard for the college basketball game. Dexter Dennis and Ricky Council Jr. are really good wings to have uh, in college basketball. I think this team is going to be really, really strong. And then SMU should also be really, really good again, uh, given that they get Kendrick Davis back. Kendrick Davis is a really good basketball player. Like he is like, you know, maybe outside of Jalen Duran, like Kendrick Davis is probably the best player in the American coming back this year. So uh, I really like what they have potential to bring to the table this year. SMU, like maybe a dark horse NCAA tournament team, if things go right for them. Uh, Mountain West, Atlantic 10. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Can I say one thing real quick on Wichita State? 
that staff really, really likes Craig Porter. I think he's, they told me he spent 48 days in quarantine last year. And, like, it just it, – it, it, last year was a mess he, for him. As a is Juco he like the – yeah, I was going to say, like, the Juco guard guy? Yeah, they, they were like he, – he just never had a chance to really showcase what he can do. But I guess he's like a kind of a twitchy, explosive lead guard. They're, they're really excited about him, so um, – not it probably won't matter for uh, for an NBA draft podcast, but uh, for people that pay attention to the AAC, he could end up being like a, a ten to twelve points per game guy off the bench, and that is going to matter in the context of Wichita State season. Mountain West, A10, and Missouri Valley. So your next three leagues, uh, we can throw the rest of the West Coast Conference into this as well. Who is the best team that isn't named Gonzaga among that group? Uh, I so I'm really high on Colorado State. Um, I don't know if I should be, but Nico Medved has had success at every stop that he's been at. He's part of the Tim Miles coaching tree, and we know how much success Tim Miles had when he was coaching at Colorado State. You can make the argument that they have two of the three best players in the Mountain West. I think Grant Sherfield is probably the best player in the Mountain West. That's and Nevada. Some people. Um, yeah, Nevada, and then some people are going to make the argument that uh, that that um, well, transferring into San Diego State, the kid from Cal, what's his name? Uh, Matt Bradley. Uh, Matt Bradley. Yeah, Matt Bradley is the best player in the Mountain West. I think you can make a very strong argument that Isaiah Stevens and and David Roddy are two of the three best players in that league. Uh, you put that together with the way that they can kind of play and the fact that I think that they're going to continue to get better defensively. Um, I, I'm in on Colorado State winning that conference. Oh wow, that's a that's a take I have not heard yet, but I like it. I, I think that's a really interesting. Like, I, I bet you could get pretty good odds on Colorado State to win the Mountain West right not, now. Not not as good as you think. They're I think they're plus three hundred right now. Oh wow, yeah, I would have guessed like plus five hundred. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to me, this team is Bonnie's. Like, I think St. Bonaventure is going to be really good. Uh, older team, Osun Osunigi is a terrific big who should be able to really uh, do a lot defensively for a St. Bonnie's team that finished top 20 nationally last year. Kyle Lofton is a terrific guard in the backcourt. They're old as hell. Like I can't imagine that there is going to be an older team this year in college basketball outside of like maybe a couple of mid-majors, right? Yeah, I mean, they're up there. I, I, I don't know if they're the oldest, but Belmont is definitely the most experienced team in the country. They, they start like four guys that are redshirt seniors or something like that. But It's amazing. Um, I mean, the Bonnies. And, and the other thing about the Bonnies is like they, they might have like a top 15 coach in the sport. We're, I, I don't, we, we probably don't want to go down the road of ranking the best coaches in college basketball. But whatever list you're putting together, like you have to at least mention Mark Schmidt, right? Yeah, Mark Schmidt's really good. Really, really good. Really good on-court coach, for sure. Um, okay, let, let's go to do, – do we want to talk about the Missouri Valley at all real quick? You know, we kind of mentioned both the other leagues. Like, I, I think Loyola is going to be really good, be good under good Drew again. Valentine again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be really good. Um, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, it's going to be like physical, defensive-minded basketball, but they're probably going to be really good again. Yep. Uh, and then – any other thoughts on the West Coast Conference? We've got BYU and we've got San Francisco, uh, I would say, are probably the next two teams that are most exciting there. 
Um, BYU, I would say, is probably the second best team in that league, but there's nobody in the country who has a name that is more fun to say than Jamare Bouye. So we, we need the Dons to make the tournament just so we can hear Jim Nance talk about Jamare Bouye pulling off a 15 2 upset. That's yeah, what I'm like a little bit less sold on BYU as compared to the rest of like the college basketball world. Uh, I think that I would have them like equal with San Francisco, whereas I've seen some like outlier top 25 rankings for BYU so far. And like, I'm just not quite there. I will say like, I think St. Mary's is going to rebound a little bit from where they were last year. Like last year was kind of a down year for them. They went 14 and 10. I, I think they're going to be a little bit better than what they were last year. Uh, Like I said, San Francisco, I think, has a real shot to make the NCAA tournament. Like, I think that if they can rack wins in the non-conference, like, this is is a team talented enough that could do it. Um, As, as like, a mid-major-ish team uh, looking to make that run. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. The only problem I have with that is, is, like, they they have to get, they have to get an at-large. They, they have to get in that large. Like, uh, you cannot rely on being able to get someone to pick off Gonzaga in the conference tournament. Like, you have to get in that large. And I yeah. just I, – I would love to see it happen. But, like, you kind of – last year was the year to do it when you picked off Virginia at the start of the season, right? And then it just never yep. – it never – like, it, it is hard to get an at-large bid. Out of, like, St. Mary's will have years where they go 30-5. and St. Mary's, a program with a bunch of dudes in the NBA – yeah. And they there's there's years where they go to the NIT when they go 30 and 5 because they just didn't get enough good wins. And like is is San Francisco going to go 30 and 5 and be able to rack up enough good wins? Like it's that's going to that's going to be a hard thing to do. Okay, who is the best mid-major or low-major team in the country? Uh I, I mean, I, I love I love Belmont. Yeah. I, I think that they Belmont. would be my pick as well for what it's worth. Yeah, the, I mean, they are um they're old. They got this kid Nick Muzinski at the five, who's just a yep. monster. Um, Grayson Murphy is like I. I saw a stat the other day that like he he's been like a four year. I think he's a, technically like a five year starter because of the the extra year that he's getting. Um, but like he just has like these career records that are just completely racked up that no one can compare with because he's been around for so long. So they have a great point guard and a great five man, which is something that I think you really really need. They shoot the hell out of it. They start four redshirt seniors and a junior. Um, the last thing I'll say about them is I, I talked with Casey uh, earlier this summer, Casey Alexander, their head coach, and they got a kid named Jacoby Wood who averaged eleven a game as a freshman. Um, off their bench and he thinks that like this dude is going to end up being the next guy that can kind of be in that like NBA conversation out of Belmont and they have a couple guys that that have made the NBA out of that program and he's going to come off the bench for them he's not starting he is going to be coming off of the bench for that's how good they are Belmont has a guy coming off the bench that they think could play in the NBA yeah, that's uh, that's that's insane to me. Uh, if they think he can be an NBA player, they should probably start him. Uh, I do just want to bring up UC Santa Barbara. Uh, they bring back Miles Norris, Amadou So. Uh, they bring in Zach Harvey, who is essentially like a high major transfer. Uh, Josh Pierre Louis uh, is a terrific like kind of point of point of attack defender. Uh, this team is very very talented 
in the Big West. I would expect them to win the Big West and then be able to make a run. Like they play Washington State, uh, not this Monday when this podcast will be released, but next Monday. Like that is a game I will actually legitimately like really tune in for and like watch and write notes on scouting because I think they have actual like dudes on both of those teams. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a little bit worried about replacing the uh, McLaughlin kid, um, um, Jacory McLaughlin, yep. uh, for UC Santa Barbara. But I mean, they're they're they have they have high major talent all over their roster. Okay, number twenty. Who is the most underrated team in the country that we may not have like mentioned? But uh, let's say like outside of the top fifty on Ken Palm right now. Outside of the top fifty on Kempom. All right, shoot. Yeah. Let me, let me so, like, who who is the team like outside of the top fifty that you think could make a run to, let's say, like the Sweet Sixteen if things broke right? Can I say the team that's ranked number fifty? That's yeah, Seton Hall. Seton Hall. I, I kind of I kind of said fifty because Seton Hall's ranked fifty, and I think that's like crazy. But let, yeah. let's let's um, exclude Seton Hall because we've talked about them a lot on the podcast already. Yeah, but we talked about them. So the the other one is Wichita State. Like, there's no way that Wichita State should be the 62nd best team in the country um, with the guards they have. Like that to me, like they, they they there's a very real chance that they could end up being like a top eight seed in the tournament. And the other one that I will say is I think like low key Mississippi State has a chance to really put some things together this year. Um I know Rocket Watts has been dealing with like some off season injury stuff, but assuming like he's he's good to go, they got he's there, DJ Jeffries is there, they bring back the two big guys. Like that team has a lot of talent. And uh you know I, I don't know if Ben Howland still remembers how to coach, but I do think that they are good enough to be able to to put something together and to make a run. Okay, I don't know if I would say that this team could make like a Sweet 16 run necessarily, but I think TCU is the most underrated team. Like they're they're picked like eighth or ninth in the Big 12, and I think that they're an NCAA tournament team this year based off of talent. Uh, Emmanuel Miller, Texas A&M, averaged like 16 and nine in the SEC last year. He is now like their four man. Uh, they bring in Damian Baugh, who's at Memphis, who, you know, Memphis had high hopes for. And there was some NBA draft discussion about during his freshman year, whenever teams went for the pro day and like, it didn't work out because it just didn't work out for a number of reasons, but you know, talented, <laughs> I, talented I, I transfer. I forgot about that. I, I forgot about the Damian Baugh, uh, off season buzz. That, yeah. I mean, that, that was, was a, real. you're, not, you're that, not making that up. That was real. <laughs> It was wild when it happened. Don't get me wrong. But like it, it, it was weird. Uh, so Shahada Wells is a kid that was at UT Arlington last year after transferring up yes. from Juco levels. He's really, really good as a scorer. Then they have Mike Miles, who was one of the best players at the U19 this summer. Uh, and then on top of that, they got Micah Peavy as a transfer from Texas Tech, yep. who's a really, really talented wing. I think this is a top half of the Big 12 team. Like, I think that I would pick them over everyone right now on a talent basis. I would pick them over everyone that isn't Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, and Texas. Like, I would have them over Oklahoma State. I think that they're more talented than West Virginia. I don't know if they'll necessarily be better than West Virginia. But Jamie Dixon's a good coach. Like... This is a situation where, oh, yeah, it's some coach who, like, doesn't know how to get the best out of rosters. Mm-hmm. Jamie Dixon can coach, man. Like, I think that this is a legit tournament team. That, that's where I'm at. Kenny, this is a team. Kenny, though, are we sure? Like, can he, can he still coach? Did he just ride Ben Howland's coattails to a couple Sweet 16s? Like, 
honestly i don't uh, think no, so I'm, because like you you go back and you look trust me man like i grew up in pit like i grew up oh, I, I know during the jamie dixon era uh you know he rode the coattails to the first sweet 16 but like fourth year there sweet 16 sixth year there elite eight like was a number one seed in 2011 which i think was like his eighth year there uh, he's a good coach jamie dixon is a very very good uh knows how to get players in good positions basketball coach is just whether or not he can recruit i think is the question uh and he hasn't thus far at tcu outside of getting desmond bain uh and a couple other guys like kenrich williams but i think that this year he finally has the actual talent he needs to be good and if it doesn't work by the way if it doesn't work at tcu this year like then it might be time to move on from jamie dixon because they have enough talent to be good can I just say this about Oklahoma State? We don't have to go into the whole getting banned from the tournament thing because I don't. I don't need you to get that little explicit tag on your podcast. I, um, I curse all the time. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, it, it was bullshit. Just, the whole thing is, was fucked it's up. Fucking bullshit. It, it is. I. I don't. I haven't been that mad about a ruling that happened in college basketball in a long time. Like, it, it's. It is unbelievable. Like, I, we, we don't need to. Please have explain it. what happened for people who don't know. There, they had an assistant coach named Lamont Evans who was accepting bribes from uh, a financial advisor uh, that ended to, to funnel players to him. This financial advisor, his name was Marty Blazer. He had stolen $2.35 million from clients to uh, produce a movie with Misha Barton and Devin Sawa. Um, and he got caught doing this by the SEC. And what he did was he went to the the SEC and the FBI and he said, I can give you all of these guys cheating in college basketball because he was bribing all of these assistant coaches to get them to give him his players so he could steal money from those players when they made it to the NBA. Lamont Evans gave $300 of those bribes, which was like $20,000, to a player named Jeffrey Carroll. Jeffrey Carroll got caught accepting those bribes. It was suspended for three games. That was the NCAA violation. The NCAA, five years after all of this came to light, decided to uphold uh, a one-year postseason ban on Oklahoma State because they had a rogue assistant coach uh, that was out there breaking the law. He wasn't technically breaking NCAA violations. They were already penned for that. He was he was breaking the law. Um, and and it's just it's it's baffling that five years later, this is when they're actually getting punished for it. Mike Bo- no one on this program was 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 associated with anything that happened this was a fucking rogue assistant and and look someone's gonna be like yeah this is what you get for cheating they weren't fucking cheating cheating is 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 creating a competitive advantage against the rules there was no competitive advantage gained unless you count like jeffrey carroll getting 300 dollars put in his pocket as a competitive advantage this was a fucking rogue assistant coach out there victimizing players by accepting bribes to give them to a man that is trying to steal his money, right? And all of a sudden, five years later, kids that weren't associated with it are, are losing their opportunity. They get four opportunities to play in the NCAA tournament. They are losing one of those opportunities because of this. It is it is baffling that the NCAA is still operating with this rule. But hey, you know what? It's the NCAA. We shouldn't be surprised. Do you know where Marty Blazer's from and like where his office was located? Oh, yeah. like He had all Pittsburgh clients. Pittsburgh, baby. Hell yeah. Shout out. Shout out Marty Blazer. The center of the basketball universe. I can't get over the fact that he made this movie with like Devin Sawa and Misha Barton. Have you seen this? You're a movie buff, right? 
I have not the seen Olympus? the Misha Barton, Devin Sawa, Marty Blazer vehicle. <laughs> like it's called it's called a resurrection. And and my favorite part about this is you know what its rating is on Rotten Tomatoes? It's gotta be like five percent. It's a three point three. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's what we're looking for. We got let's see here. We got Michael Clark Duncan, rest in peace. We got Devin Sawa, Misha Barton. Uh I I'll be honest, I don't know who any of these other people are. Like uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you need to. Like the the storyline is a kid uh, like gets bullied to death and comes back and haunts the people that bullied him. That's the storyline, and it's a horror movie yeah, called A Resurrection, uh... Star- starring Stan and uh, and Marissa from the OC. Like that's what are we what are we doing here? Who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> what? Oh, How did my. this even happen? Let's see here. Yeah, no, no, we got a. What, what a what a move! What a move by uh, by Mr. Blazer here, Marty Blazer. Imagine, what a, imagine stealing two and a half million dollars to fund that movie. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of bad stuff out there in Hollywood. Uh, by, by the way, my man was doing it from Pittsburgh, like becoming a yeah. becoming a Hollywood mogul from Pittsburgh. I love it. This is where this is what we need. Uh, we, we need we need more uh, Pittsburgh Hollywood moguls. All right, number twenty one. Final question here. The, the whole thing with Oklahoma State, like, it's bullshit. Like, I, I can't fathom uh, what would make the NCAA decide to penalize a bunch of kids and coaches that had absolutely nothing to do with what happened. Uh, find the school, like, find the coaches involved, do whatever you have to do, but, like, don't hurt people who had nothing to do with it like the ncaa's process is so fucking punitive and stupid and pointless that it like disgusts me okay number 21 final question rob doster for you on this two-hour podcast that we said was going to last one hour before we started uh who is your pick to win the national title man um as of this very moment uh i kind of think i have to go with gonzaga and it, I don't feel great about it. Um, I do think that they are the best team in college basketball. I think that it is fairly clear they're the best team in college basketball. I think that they have a pair of bigs that are going to be two of the three best players in college basketball that actually fit together, and they have guards that are good enough to be able to take advantage of what those big men can do. Um, I think that this is the year that Mark Few gets the monkey off his back, and we don't have to ever hear again about how uh, Gonzaga is not a major program because all they've done is get to two of the last five national title games. Yeah. Mark Few is a phenomenal coach. Like, let's just get it out of the way. Like, absolutely incredible coach. Like, we, Mark Few deserves to go to the Hall of Fame. Like, we, we don't need to, like, continue this as conversation. Long as he takes an Uber there. <laughs> Please take an Uber. But, like, for the love of God, like, Mark Few is a college, ba- or is like a, Pro basketball, Naismith, whatever the fuck basketball Hall of Fame that is, the Naismith Hall of Fame, that that man is a Hall of Famer. Like, you can't build... For people who have not been to Spokane, like... Have you been to Spokane, Rob? I have not. It's a a, a place. Like, it is Eastern Washington. It is around absolutely nothing. To build a basketball power there is unfathomable to me. And I have them as my runner-up this year. I have UCLA, UCLA as my champion going into the year. Uh, 
we brought up like Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez and Miles Johnson and Peyton Watson earlier. We didn't bring up Tiger Campbell. And Tiger Campbell is a terrific guard. He is an absolutely terrific showrunner as a lead guard. On top of that, they have a real backup in David Singleton who can run the show. You can run the offense through Jaime Jaquez whenever Tiger Campbell isn't on the court. Like, you can run the offense through Johnny Juzang when Tiger Campbell isn't on the court. They have so many offensive options. They have legit perimeter defenders in Peyton Watson and Jaime Jaquez. Tiger's a good defender at the point of attack if it's someone his size, too. Uh, they have real rim protection now for 40 minutes with Miles Johnson and Cody Riley. And they have game breakers as shot makers. Like they, they have guys who can just fucking bust your scheme in Jaime Hawkes and Johnny Juzang and maybe Peyton Watson by the end of the year too. He is very talented. I think they have everything that you're looking for in a national champion and in a Mick Cronin team. They have enough talent. They fit the coach's identity. I think that they win the national title this year. And this is yeah, not I, just I mean, me saying that because I have, I, I think, a 17-1 to 1 bet on them to win the title. I don't. I, I love. I love UCLA this year. My. I. I said this the other day on on the show with the with, with Fant and To. Uh, my final four is Gonzaga and UCLA, and then I was like, okay, who else do I need to put in there? I went with Duke and Kentucky because I think that they're going to yep. be able to figure it out. But yeah, I. I'm 100 percent there with you on UCLA, and I do think that. Um, I would call Gonzaga and UCLA the two best teams in the country, probably. Um, and, and by the way, can you imagine how great it would be to get a rematch? Of that Gonzaga oh, UCLA Final Four game in the title game, it'd be, it, would, it would. Imagine if we can get that, like, go back and get that game from last year and put that into a building with seventy five thousand people in New Orleans yep. that have been drinking all day on Bourbon Street. Yeah, like I, I might be there with them. You know, <laughs> like who knows? It's a long commute. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I'm coming back for the Final Four this year, man. I will be there. Hey, I will be in New Orleans. All right, I'm excited. We're, uh, we have we have we have big things planned for that week, and we're gonna have to get you involved at least uh, at least one day. I'm around. I'm you Whatever in. you're bu- you you're, can... you're booked. I'll I'll tell you the details when we get closer. But uh, just know you're booked. Okay, you're I'm, booked. You can book me. I'm in. Uh, Rob, that's been 21 questions to preview the college basketball season. Tell the people where they're going to be able to see your face this season on the internet. Uh, the Field of 68. You can find us on Twitter at The Field of 68. You can find us on YouTube at The Field of 68. You can find us at 11 o'clock Eastern Time streaming every single night during the college basketball season on The Field of 68 After Dark. And, and let's be honest, I'll probably jump on there a decent amount just because, like, it's what, what? what else do you have to do? <laughs> it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon here. My wife is working. What else am I going to do right now, right? Like, <laughs> it's beautiful to be in Australia and have some things to do or have, like, very little to do work-wise up until, like, NBA draft season and until I have to start writing about prospects, right? Which will come soon enough. But... <laughs> This has been the Game 3 Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back uh, after the Champions Classic. We're going to have a podcast with Penny uh, to talk about all of the NBA draft prospects we've seen. But until next time, we will talk soon.